0: Drink, drink, yes. Oh, that is delicious and refreshing. Mm, Sweet and sour like Chinese food. He's saying it's a celebratory drink in his village. Cheers. (laughs) Yeah, it brings joyful lightness to the heart and soul. Oh, no, sorry, it's not joyful lightness. A better translation would be howling loneliness and then your bravery will be tested as your mind fogs and the shadow hags will rise from the graves and 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 hold you in an icy embrace and it'll feel like your bowels being pierced by a ghost serpent well that can't be right no that can't be right Chaka, um, makirishu, um, dondo. Oh, no, no, mm, bomba. Oh, okay, so it's not ghost serpent, it's, it's much closer to zombie dick. Hmm. Magala! I think it might be narcotic. Is that so? Hmm. You should be honest with me, okay? you cop. Not It's not an instant Chaka. What's your name? Seriously, by law, you have to tell me if you're a police officer. Marco Polo. You wear a wire? Yeah.
1: Coming up with a new conception of the body that is highly personalized is really where medicine, as far as I'm concerned, is that we should all be working on creating our own understanding of anatomy uh, that's individualized to us.
2: Okay, guys, welcome back to the America show. We're going to be chatting with Mr. Connor Habib a little bit later, uh, talking about all sorts of fun stuff. Thanks to RPJ for, for setting that one up for us. We were pleasantly surprised. Ah, uh, but first, Graham, soon to be crop circle making accomplice Dunlop. Oh, How's it going, on. buddy? No, allegedly.
3: I'm doing okay. Just okay. Yeah, no, I'm doing well, but I won't help you make that fake crop circle. Hey, but I want to tell you about my <laughs> yoga. Just, what if it's sacred geometry? <laughs> my last yoga experience. No, I'm not even talk about it. <laughs> well, mom, um, I need you for this. Yeah, I don't know. They honestly, it's going to take some convincing.
2: Oh, we're going to see orbs.
3: Yeah. You want to go out orb hunting and make a crop circle? Exactly. I'll tell you what, if you make, go out there and make a crop circle, orbs will probably show up
2: and you'll miss it and you'll be like, I missed it again. (laughs) It's like missing, what is it? Snuffleupagus who always got missed. Yeah. Yeah. Was it? Yeah.
3: So I did. Someone
2: uh, else too, No. Or maybe it was just Snuffle Off, I guess. From Polka Dot Door?
3: No, from Who Sesame was on Polka. Street.
2: Polka Dot Door.
3: I don't know. I never watched that.
2: As someone on Polka Dot Door got missed all the time. Pokeroo. Uh,
3: I, I don't know. I don't know. The yet.
2: dude never got to see Pokeroo, only the check. Oh, really? Like, ah. Oh, I missed him again.
3: Pokeroo? Is that supposed to mean something else, too? Is that the, that's when you like disappear a on the from night? Something? Yeah, when
2: like disappear. It's Pokerooin. When you like just fucking disappear on a night of drinking, like your buddies turn around and you're gone. It's called pulling a pokeroo. Really? Yeah. Because pokeroo always disappear. Mm.
3: Anyhow. That's beyond my generation. Beyond. Yeah. Or not there yet. My generation is beyond pokeroo. Beneath? Beneath. No, not beneath. Beneath your generation. Hey, I just want to mention my yoga experience the other night. Oh, this should be good. Yeah, I did. Why?
2: Well, because your last yoga experience ended in a fire.
3: Oh, no, No, that wasn't my last one. That was a long time ago when I almost burned the hot yoga
2: studio down. Or was that the farting one? Anyway,
3: I did that again, too. So it's yin yoga. My sister uh, always said to me, like, she sometimes uses uh, yin yoga to help her sleep. She has... uh, Sleeping sometimes insomnia, and uh, anyway, so it's super relaxing, right? Long stretches. So I've been trying it uh, on Friday afternoon, Friday evenings. Except that it it does make you really tired. It's so relaxing, but this one we did is called nidra. So at the end, there's like a 15 minute sleep exercise. So you're doing these really long stretches, holding these poses, and the like sort of the bigger muscle groups that you have, and the you know like your hips and your legs and stuff like that. And then you go Gips into this, good one. and then you go into this relaxation for 15 minutes, and my, the body is vibrating and so relaxing, and, you, and you're not supposed to fall asleep, so you have to like fight the sleep off, and just they, she takes you through this journey of awareness throughout your whole body. I'm Amazing. Start doing yoga. It's coming. Really? Yeah. Start small. All right, buddy. Well, now that you've stopped smoking, you can probably handle it.
2: I don't know. This fucking thing's pretty hard on my lungs too. The e cig? Yeah. Really?
3: Why? Is that what they say?
2: I don't know. I can feel it. If I go hard on it, I can feel it the same as if I went hard on a cigarette.
3: Oh, you, if you go hard on air, it'll probably <laughs> hurt your lungs.
2: No, I feel <laughs> fucking
3: great. So, Connor, we should talk about him a little bit here. Yeah, a fascinating guy, right? Author, pornographic person, sex ask expert.
2: <laughs> and evolutionary biologist.
3: Yeah, he's all okay. kinds of he's,
2: shit. He took some classes in here, a couple of years. Yeah, three years, three years,
3: years, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we talk about that. Very open-minded, intellectual thinker. Pretty cool uh, talk about all kinds of stuff. NDEs and, yeah, it's really...
2: Coming to the home... Uh,
3: home province?
2: ...of the show here next week? No, a couple weeks.
3: Uh, two, uh, yeah, less than two weeks. Yeah.
2: We'll see if we make it down to see him or not. Yeah, he's uh, nice speaking
3: too. in Lethbridge, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. That's right. At the university, I think we actually have a few Lethbridge listeners. I think Dave.
3: Dave from Hey, Dave from Lethbridge. Yeah. Maybe we can or meet. No, Dave. not
2: Dave. It's uh, David, <laughs> like Raven. Remember?
3: Oh, David. Okay.
2: Yeah, I think he's from Lethbridge or close to somewhere around down there.
3: Well, we might go see Connor, and so uh, if Dave there, is just... in
2: like the witness protection program or something?
3: Yeah. <laughs> Look for the short, stocky guy <laughs> in the in the purple and white gray America shirt. <laughs>
2: yeah. Does he have a shirt? <laughs> Who? Avon? Or you?
3: No, me. So for I'm, you? Yeah, yeah you're I'm, a target.
2: Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So what's new, buddy? You got any, uh, got any excuses for me to play a jingle?
3: Yeah, I got some synchronicities. Lots of synchronicities coming into the Spamgram mailbox. That's G-R-A-H-A-M at gramerica.com. Or
2: rambling Gram. <laughs>
0: I'm a rambling
4: gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet.
3: <laughs> so this one's from, uh, our buddy, Justin Salas for TN Mine. He's, uh, he does our newsletter. Uh, have you, Justin. have you, yeah, have you, have you heard this one yet? Just no, came I, in? No, I haven't. Just came in last night. And, uh, yeah, he's he's a huge uh, friend of the show and a big help on a lot of stuff. So he says, uh, this just happened a little bit ago, so I decided to write you before I forget. Have you ever heard of the Codex Gigas? Codex what? Gigas, G-I-G-A-S. What's that? It's Latin for giant book. It's also known as the devil's Bible. for Codex?
2: Like the camera? Codex, Codex, codex. yeah.
3: It is also known as the Devil's Bible for the large illustration of the devil within its pages. Almost a full page dedicated to the horned villain, which I guess is unusual for any Bible. It doesn't just contain the Bible, though. It contains other historical documents as well as incantations. It's the largest medieval manuscript in the world, weighing in at some 165 pounds. That's 74.8 kilograms, you Canadian hoser. He says. I
2: still like weights and pounds. I know. so I told him.
3: We still measure things in both ways in Canada. It's pretty crazy. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, so yesterday I watched a show about it on Netflix. It was the first I'd ever heard of it. Crazy stuff. I thought about maybe doing a, po- a post about it. I thought about it for most of the day at work today. Anyway, the work day was over and I'm at home. My phone connects to my Wi-Fi. It automatically downloads any new podcast that I'm subscribed to. I know, notice a couple of badges indicating that I had new episodes. I check to see from what shows. I have a new one from the Stuff You Missed in History Class podcast. That's the same one with the Moai with headphone pictures. And guess what the title of the new episode is called? Yep, Codex Jigas. Codex Jigas. <laughs> so what do you think? was that me deciding was, was me deciding to watch that show a ripple before the stick type situation because it was somewhat profound coincidence to me.
2: Give me the rundown. Let's do the rundown.
3: He hears about this codex Jing as he watches a show. He thinks about it all day long. What?
2: On Netflix. I'm going to watch it
3: on Netflix. Yeah. And then he, and then he comes home and the, one of the podcasts he looks at downloading is that, that title. I like that. That's a simple, but good one. That's a good ripple stick. Hmm. Like he gotta wonder, right? is some is he connecting to something that's saying like this is a topic to be viewed right now?
2: Or did he hear the those guys talking about it the week before, and that's why he yeah, chose to watch I, that? On
3: no, that, right? I don't so, see. That's the total skeptical view. Yeah. Well, hey,
2: the truth lies somewhere in the middle, probably. Right?
3: Yeah. Do you want to wait? And uh, no, I'll give you a could, six. A six. <laughs> Poor Justin. Six and a half. You can't start moving your scale all
2: about. Tell me what I can't do.
3: Okay, so you want to hear another one then?
2: I am the scale.
3: You want to hear another one?
2: Yes. (laughs) But now you've put me in a foul mood, so I feel sorry for whoever it is. Okay, well, you like this (laughs) one. It's Graham's fault.
3: Just listening to show 105, and lo and behold, a synchronicity occurs. This is from Matt.
2: It's at least a point (laughs) four
3: two. While it's not major, I felt it did need mentioning. You were reading a lucid dream from someone who saw a primate creature of small stature and who referred to it as a demonic Chaka from the land of the lost. The band I play in is called Sleestack, which are the monsters from that show. And by coincidence, (laughs) you guys mentioned the movie and then next read an email from me about dreams and drugs. Chaka is the Pukani, which is their race. Slash tribe and stack are their enemies. Tell the other listener not to worry, as we've killed his personal demon. I've attached the image of one of our old stickers designs for clarification. <laughs> it's got a, a chaka with a knife through the forehead. It says "Die, chaka, die."
2: The stacks are just so slow-moving things, though, right? I,
3: I can't. I don't know. I can't remember. I've seen Land of the Lost a long time ago, but
2: a long time ago. Something went out a few years.
3: He says it's totally worth watching seasons one and two.
2: Oh, I never seen the T. Oh, it's a TV show. <laughs> I've only ever seen the Will Ferrell one.
3: Oh, with, Oh yeah. Right. With a little thing that was dressed up as a Chaka. Yeah. It was Chaka. Oh, is his it? his name was Chaka. Oh, okay. We should maybe get a clip of that or something. That movie's a trip. He said they had some of the best sci-fi writers of the day. And if you can get past the cheesy effects, the concepts introduced are pretty advanced. Sometimes dark and adult orientated for a Saturday morning kid show.
2: That's like the Guy America show. <laughs>
3: well wow. hmm. that's a pretty good one. I like it. You're strange. I, I totally I don't think I agree with your synchronicity style. The way you rate it. You, don't like, the, you than, don't like that one. It's different than, than me. I I and think that Justin's is, no. I think Justin's is is more. Even he says it was a light one. The main thing about that was because I read his email after the Chaka one. Really, that's the that's the beefiest part of the synchronicity. It's a five point four two. Should I stick with it? One more. Another one? Yeah.
2: Same Same guy. New guy. No,
3: no new guy. All right. Okay. Do we have time in this uh, in- intro?
2: We have all the time in the world,
3: All right, buddy. So this is from Joshua Cutchen. Hey, gents. Just wanted to send a quick email that would introduce myself, cheerlead y'all, and share my biggest synchronicity. My name is Joshua Cutchin. I'm a friend of RPJ. That's Red Pill Junkie. He's a regular on the show here. And I've just begun my career in the world of Fortiana. My first book, tentatively titled Strange Feast, is scheduled to be released later this year with anomalous books. It's about the exchange of food between humanoids, aliens, fairies, and Sasquatch, and witnesses. I'd love to be a guest on the show at some point in the future, but I'm not writing to talk about that. I want to share with the Grimerica gang my most profound synchronicity. As with all intense synchros, it requires a little bit of a backstory. At one point in my first master's, I was dating a lady. Let's call her Carmen Whitney, who was really into ghost investigation. We were both musicians, and she was working toward her doctorate in O-B-O-E performance. I I think that's probably pronounced oboe or something like that. I'm not too sure what it is. You being a musician, Darren, maybe you know, but. Like an oboe, the instrument? Yeah, it's O-B-O-E. Yeah, that's an oboe. Okay, so you... Not an acronym. Okay. It could be out of body. No, it can't. (laughs) No, no, it (laughs) can't be. (sighs) Okay, so having come to the University of Georgia from Cincinnati, in fact, one of our best trips was to Ohio, where we hopped down to Louisville, Kentucky, to visit Waverly Hills Sanatorium. That's a story for another time. It was a good relationship, but we never really took off in a meaningful way we always felt stuck in first gear as it were it was in the middle of this relationship that I had a big gig in Austin, Texas I play tuba with a concentration on jazz, funk, rock and blues
2: tuba or T-U-B-A what? what's that for? hmm what could it be? T-U-B-A
3: tuba I said
2: oh okay I thought it was maybe an acronym
3: (laughs) stop fucking taking the piss as a chronic worrier, I was stressed out about how Carmen and I were doing. And on the way back, I was obsessing over the fact that the relationship wasn't progressing. I was waiting for the plane to take off, working on a crossword puzzle to take my mind off her when the most intense series of synchronicity as I've ever experienced cascaded upon me in a space of about 90 seconds. What's so funny? Nothing. Because I'm getting all excited?
2: No. Nothing. Keep going. I'm excited.
3: During that minute and a half, I answered the crossword question, double reed instrument with O-B-O-E. The person in front of me dropped her ticket, which fell under their seat and landed at my feet, the final destination, Cincinnati. And the owner of the ticket turned around to ask me to pick it up. He had two tattoos on each forearm reading Carmen and Whitney. I obliged the gentleman and returned his ticket. The tattoos were apparently the name of his daughter's. Even though I've experienced some other strange things in my life, this stands out to me as the most profound 14 event I've ever encountered, namely because it's a classic synchronicity along the strictest of Jungian lines. It was a a casual triggered by a period of intense emotion and requires a good deal of explanation to outsiders, making it seem more than more. It anything other than mundane. Add to that the fact that in this relationship with a ghost hunter, I was scrutinizing the unknown more than I had in previous years. As noted before, these phenomena tend to look back at you when you look at them. He says, keep up the good work, guys. I have become quite enamored with your show. I'll echo other sentiments that y'all are an acquired taste. But so are Tom Waits and Bourbon, two of the greatest things in the universe. Say hi to Red Pill Junkie for me. He is one of the nicest, most helpful fellows I've ever encountered.
2: Huh, I think he was dreaming.
3: Wait, really? Yeah. Like he was asleep in the plane and dreaming it.
2: Yeah, that's crazy. The plane?
3: So. Why would you think that?
2: I don't know. That just seems too crazy.
3: It it does, eh? Yeah.
2: That seems like uh, like maybe a fucked up memory.
3: Okay. Well, okay, here
2: here you are. When it becomes, give me the beginning of the scenario again. Was he? Is, where was he on a plane? Yeah. I he, think he fell
3: asleep. <laughs> he was on a plane. Um she was from she was uh she was working towards a dr- doctorate in the OBOE, yeah, yeah, having yeah. come to the University of Georgia from Cincinnati, right?
2: In the OBOE or the Oboe?
3: The Oboe. In you
2: fact, an, one of um, the best trips it is the OBOE. Can you get a doctorate in an Oboe?
3: Uh in perform in that performance, yeah, probably. Uh-huh. So, in fact, one of our best trips was to Ohio, and we hopped down to Louisville. Da da da. So he was in the middle of a relationship. He was in a big. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah. It's it's it. He was worrying about how they were doing at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Where was he? On a plane.
2: Sleeping. Am I allowed to make that? No, no, I can't say that.
3: Just because it's a crazy good synchronicity, you can't start making up like alternate things that happen. Let's just assume that just
2: fits so perfectly.
3: Let's just assume that it really happened, like he says, and he wasn't sleeping. He fell
2: asleep while he was thinking about it. Come on, come on! You can't
3: just say that, though. That's not fair.
2: Then I'll give it a fucking nine. Yeah. Okay. Right. I still. I'm saying you were sleeping. Sorry, dude. Thanks for listening.
3: (laughs) And we'll have you on the show when we talk about your uh, your book about feasting, about not eating the fairy food. When you fall asleep on airplanes. <laughs> <clears throat> hey, uh, should we congratulate our...
0: Uh,
3: I think I'm going to uh, do this one... Uh, from Captain Edward J. Ruppelt, since Blue Book was in the, in the news quite a bit uh, recently, he's the chief of Project Blue Book, from his book, The Report on Unidentified Flying Objects from 1956. This is the quote. Every time I get skeptical, I think of the other reports made by experienced pilots and radar operators, scientists, and other people who know what they are looking at. These reports were thoroughly investigated and they are still unknowns. We have no aircraft on this earth that can at will so handily outdistance our latest jets. The pilots, radar specialists, generals, industrialists, scientists and the man on the street who have told me I wouldn't have believed it either if I hadn't seen it myself knew what they were talking about. Maybe the earth is being visited by interplanetary spaceships. That's from Captain Edward J. Ruppelt.
2: Well done. That was a real tongue twister. I'm surprised you pulled that off. Oh, thanks, buddy. After you stumbled through the last one.
3: I'm so glad you have confidence in me. I do.
2: You never cease to amaze me. That
3: was good, though. Oh, On thanks. the fly. Thanks, buddy. You are actually
2: yeah. ready this week. The last well, couple I, weeks, I almost caught you. I, I think I caught you like three weeks in a row.
3: I didn't have that one chosen until the last minute, so. Um, would you like to congratulate our friend uh, and... Uh, Inaugural e- guest on the Graham Show, Ephraim Palermo. Yeah. Use I'd that. like you to come uh,
2: on the Gram Show. And look what happens you know, to you. You're writing books and you're on TV.
3: <laughs> I just finished his book, uh, Tides of Retribution. It was pretty cool. He's got a creative mind, man. You should you should read it when it comes out. It's it's really cool. Is
2: there a Darren Dunlop?
3: Oh, there should be though, eh? There's a Graham Grimes yeah. in it. <laughs> and he lives in Calgary. <laughs> Thanks, Efrain. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Check it out. What was that? Uh, What was the show? Season...
3: No, and and then the show is uh, NASA Unexplained Files on the Science Channel, right? Season one. No, season three, episode one.
2: And seven, I think. One and seven. So the first one came out last night. The other one comes out in May sometime. But we'll find a clip from it. I'll dig it up somehow and get a clip from it for the... uh, Maybe for the next episode, we'll see.
3: Maybe I don't know, is that, an, is that an American channel or something? I don't I, I don't get science it. Science
2: channel. I used to have science channel. It was like channel 93.
3: Yeah, I, can, I can't find it on my cable.
2: Yeah, it's channel 93.
3: So, uh, Mirella Calderon from Toronto sent us a note. He said, can you give a shout out to our mutual friend, Efrain Palermo, congratulating him on his first TV appearance on NASA's Unexplained Files. NASA. Taking, <laughs> he was... He was talking about the Phobos monolith.
2: Which he discovered, according monolith to Wikipedia. Monolith.
3: Yeah, he, yeah, he discovered it.
2: We should fucking print that out and put it on the wall.
3: And she said, uh, We should. <laughs> we should. She says, I love your show, by the way. And did I miss any shows on synchronicities? And I'll have to say, Morella, we haven't done a every show show's on, on synchronicity. Them, but every show kind of touches on them for some reason. Because we, we fucking make sure
2: it does. That's right. It's like a theme of the show, not for some reason. <laughs> don't make it sound profound. <laughs> nice try, though. For some reason, synchronicities just seem to come up. Because people fucking email well, they, it to you.
3: Well, they do. More so than, like, trip reports or UFO encounters or anything else like that. Think so?
2: Yeah. Or a totally. general hate mail.
3: We don't get any hate mail. Just YouTube. Is there a lot on YouTube? I don't pay attention to it, so. No, not too much. I probably shouldn't. I get all sensitive. and Yeah, you do get pretty sensitive. I'll be like, maybe we should change the show. This person <laughs> said I'm rambling on in the intro.
2: Anything
3: else? Yeah, I want to do a little Others Report uh, segment here. As we talked about this in previous shows, but it's that app by Todd, who we met at uh, Paradigm Symposium. So search for it. It's the others report app, and and all it, it's really simple. But all it does is it consolidates a whole shitload of great stories that we talk about on this show from a whole bunch of different sources. So they've got uh, he's got MUFON uh, UFO reports uh, sprinkled in there everywhere. American so episodes. he he digitizes a bunch of uh, MUFON reports and sends them out. Our episodes are actually on there, and some of our blog posts, and then he's got stuff from. Websites like UFO Digest, The Grailian Report, The Ghost Diaries, Mysterious Universe, Intrepid Mag, uh, The Daily Grail. So those are all ones that we're familiar with. But then there's also like you know the Inquisitor, Birmingham Mail, About. dot com, Educating Humanity. So it's pretty cool. It's like this is where I go now if I need to know. Like it just consolidates all these uh, cool stories about the stuff we talk about. So here's a couple of headlines. Can I? Cause you you sent me this. Can I rate them. Did you send this from the others' report? Google, Did I send this? Google will Did silence. Did you send this?
2: From where? Did you send it? Oh no! I you? sent that from uh, no more fake news dot com.
3: Oh okay. Google will silence alternative media websites. Right? Orwellians. Orwellians. Uh, ministry of Truth is here. <laughs>
2: and Google decides what's facts. So yeah, basically, that's... it's switching to a fact. They want us, they're, they're trying out a fact based thing where they put everything in this vault they have that decides what's how much things are based on fact. So basically, things like things that are like, you know, on the front lines to like vaccination and shit like that. Basically, if Google decides vaccinations are good, then you're going to get to like fucking page 350 before you find a page that's anti vaccination. I think that's kind of why it's in the headlines, because someone spoke out about it, because um, they were talking about it, uh, using that as an example of the problem is if you search vaccination, there's anti-vaccination websites on the first page. Yeah, this is a on huge the first problem. Page. But the thing is, I mean, the way they've got it going right now is pretty good. Like, I think it's all based on link backs. So yeah. the more times your site is linked to, but from other sites on the internet... Then the more higher you come in the post, which just seems to me like the way the internet works in general.
3: And now they're going to change it to some sort of algorithm on truth within that article. Like that, who's the fucking decides, decides on what truth is? Like
2: what truth is?
3: Connor, our, our guest today, Connor B, would would agree with us on this that it's pretty fucking subjective sometimes, right? Like how many how many science facts have changed over the last couple decades? It's fucking crazy. How can you trust an algorithm to tell us what the truth is when the the the, our culture and internet is so polarized right now between belief and truth. And, like, who says all the skeptics and the scientists and the hardcore materialists should be deciding what the fuck's on Google?
2: Yeah. Well, once you oh. can put the lie into the...
3: Oh, it's scary. It's yeah, super scary. Yeah,
2: that's that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of mundane headline that most people would just like, oh, seems like a good idea. You know what I mean? But it just seems fucked up on a... I mean, the easy option is just use a different search engine.
3: Yeah, but that's that's not so easy. But how long is it before there's
2: only one? Yeah, exactly. That's what it
3: becomes a problem. So i got some more headlines here just to... I'm trying uh, to get him on. Yeah, like, well, we should, yeah, I for think. sure. So there's just some other headlines I'll read here, too, to give you an idea of of what kind of stories they cover, right? Um UFO, the search continues, like lost, God, lost City of the Monkey God on the Grayling Report. Will technology ever find, eventually find Bigfoot? UFO appears on news channel broadcasts in Argentina. That's from uh, Mysterious Universe. Oh, there was a good one here too, uh, about Russia. Russia, did you see that? Russia's uh, declassified documents. Did I see them? Yeah. Did you see that uh, article?
2: No. Uh, now I'm not going to be able to find it. I don't got time to read about, read Russia's declassified things.
3: Why not? This I'm is an important.
2: podcast, running is... fucking work, running a family. I need you to read that shit and tell me about it.
3: Is this on? It's got a, a big spotlight on a guy. It says RPJ back on Intrepid. <laughs> That's in there too.
2: Intrepid blog? I think so, yeah. Is that a thing? Uh, Yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? com. Yes. He wrote another article. I know it had been like a year or something since he,
3: since he wrote. It. Wow, that long. Yeah, I guess he did. Russia makes UFO disclosure statement. Underwater USOs are real. This is from uh, classified documents. I got a. On several occasions, the instruments gave. Reading of material objects moving at incredible speed. Calculations showed speeds of about 230 knots or 265 miles an hour. Speeding so fast is a challenge even on the surface, but water resistance is much higher. It was like the objects defied the laws of physics. There's only one explanation. The creatures who built them far surpass us in development, says Beketov. I wonder if they're all watercraft. And then there's another quote here from Vladimir Azaka. <clears throat> he believes the issue should be thoroughly investigated. I think about underwater bases and say, why not? Nothing should be discarded, says Azaka. Skepticism is the easiest way. Believe nothing, do nothing. People rarely visit great depths, So it's, it's very important to analyze what they encounter there.
2: Maybe all UFOs come from the deep. That's really just fish people or fish people, long lost evolutionary brothers
3: Pret- pretending they're ETs. Coming to fuck
2: us up. Maybe they're not pretending. Maybe we're just assuming.
3: You think Putin's in on the on the uh, no on the embargo of truth? Putin? Yeah. Like if you were Putin, wouldn't you use that as a uh, some leverage over the states? Yeah, I unless don't know. he's part of it. Like, how global is this whole embargo on trees? Because I know the U.S. is hiding lots of shit.
2: Yeah, who knows? Maybe it's just them. Or if Russia knows. Who knows?
3: I bet you. I'm putting, I'm predicting. This will be, disclosure will come from Russia. You're predicting?
2: Yeah. Put it in the book?
3: Yeah. And now with the interwebs, it's going to be impossible to stop.
2: Hype dream, buddy. Yeah fucking pipe dream yeah Not that not happening not in your lifetime
3: yeah it'll happen now slowly 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 nope, nope. yep nope <laughs> okay we should stop this rambling all right
2: so who's Connor habib this is a good one yep i think it's uh it's it went pretty long rpjs there too uh we talk about just about everything.
3: Yeah. Oh, man. I forgot to say something to you at the beginning of this. Oh, man. Yeah. If you're new to the show. Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) Or if you haven't listened to it a lot, this this show, Darren and I really focus on uh, it coming out in in podcast format, right? On-demand format. But having said that, and we don't really advertise it a lot because our schedule, our live recording schedule is all over the map, but we do post it uh, on our website on Backstage, right? We post a schedule of our live chat. So you can actually join the chat room and listen to it live. But then we actually publish that interview a couple of weeks after with like an intro like we're doing now. I just wanted to explain that. Yeah, um, and while you're there, support the show. Yeah, we um, do. We do have lots of expenses here. so
2: Yeah, and we uh, don't have any ads. No ads, no sponsors, no fucking bullshit. That you guys have to listen to other than us ask for uh your support.
3: And you can even fast forward us and get to the guests if you don't like the lazy ramblings.
2: Yeah, exactly. But uh yeah, check out the webpage. We have all sorts of subscription options from a buck to thirty. Um anything over five bucks a month comes with an optional Grime America email address while supplies last. Uh we'll figure out something with T shirts eventually, but that's on hold right now. We're out of shirts.
3: Yeah, big big one is uh, Darren wanted to make March like tell-a-friend month. So we don't really have any ways to market either except for putting this out on on-demand platforms like YouTube and iTunes and that type of thing. So the best marketing we have really is, is you guys listening and telling friends, and that's helped out a lot so far. So keep doing that and review us on iTunes. That somehow helps the mysterious algorithm that nobody really knows how it works, but that I'm pretty sure that... ITunes. All those reviews that we're getting are helping, and we really thank everybody for doing that. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, take the time to do that if you can. But, yeah, that's the biggest thing. Uh, tell your friends about the show. Uh, tweet the episodes, Facebook, you know, wherever you can. Yeah. Find people that might be interested. Spread the word, and uh, let's grow the hegemony. I don't even know. I lost track of countries. That's I don't know. It's
3: 150 thing. countries or something. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of just too many. I can't yeah. remember what's what. We should really just look That's at a lot. which countries we're not in and focus on that. Maybe Manifest drop it. phones in or something. Yeah. So uh,
2: I think that... Oh, and subscribe for the newsletter too. That's how you get the... the uh,
3: Yeah, the reminder of uh, what's coming up live.
2: Yeah. Justin. Yeah. Justin does that shit dot yeah. america.ca slash news and that reminds me of the fucking donate button was broken we had a couple people email in and say they couldn't donate so that is fixed yeah hopefully that didn't happen to too
3: many people yeah so please help out the show
2: yeah help with the show and enjoy the chat with connor habib this is a long one i think this one's a couple hours but uh it's well worth it it's well worth it you guys will enjoy every minute of it and uh we'll pick you up in the outro all right In tonight, we're going to be chatting with Connor Habib and uh, our regular friend uh, Red Pill Junkie from Mexico, uh, and Graham, of course. How's it going, buddy?
3: Not too bad, buddy. Doing uh, well. I'm excited. Yeah, looking forward to this one. Now uh, we've got Connor Habib here. Like uh, Darren says, he's written for essays in like Vice, Salon, Slate, <clears throat> and he goes around giving lectures on what is that like, sexuality, spirituality, pornogra- pornography. Uh, science. You know, he studied evolution for a few years and he's interested in NDEs. Actually Red Pill Junkie even even uh mentioned one of his essays in his blog. So there's tons of interesting stuff to talk to uh Connor about he's also in the adult film industry. We can talk about different ways to to couch that. But uh we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Basically Connor's an articulate guy who's got a super balanced view on things which which uh you know from what I've heard so far. And he fits right into, uh, to great America here because we like to have this middle of the road view on things. So we're looking forward to getting into it with Connor and, uh, I better be careful. I'm going to start being uh Got pun punful here. <laughs> so anyways, welcome to Grey America show. Connor. It's good to have you. Nice to be here. Thanks a lot, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I've heard you talk on a couple of shows before and, and red pill junkies with us. And he, he was like, you guys should have Connor on. And, and, uh, we have a lot to talk about. I guess you want to start with yeah,
2: with Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should actually, since RPJ is kind enough to set everything up, maybe we should give him the honor of uh, okay. of getting things
4: started. What do you think, Red? Oh, my God. <laughs> right in the spotlight. Okay. Let me give it a shot. So, I think I first heard of Connor through Christopher Ryan's podcast, Tangentially Speaking, in which he has been a, a guest a couple of times, and... Both times, I I really, really liked his point of view on a a variety of topics, you know, science, uh, biology, biology, evolution, sexuality, and all that thing, you know. I think that uh, Connor, uh, like the the bio uh, Graham uh, mentioned briefly, you know, he's a very eclectic individual. He He's interested in a whole lot of different topics, which is something you know I really appreci- appreciate in a person and a thinker. And he recently uh, uh, mentioned uh, to me by by a Twitter we follow each other um, an essay that he had uh, recently uh, reissued on the subject of uh, near-death experiences. You know something of a, a very critical view of Doctor Ivan Alexander. Uh, And his alleged NDE, you know, Dr. Ivan Alexander, for people who don't know, uh, uh, wrote a best-selling book. I think it was in 2012, Proof of Heaven. And obviously, you know, uh, as you can expect, he was attacked, you know, head-on by the usual skeptics. Uh, But... Uh, Connor's uh, critic, criticism about uh, Dr. Alexander and his story wasn't the typical, you know, debunking, bunking, the you know, it can't be, therefore it isn't, you know, attitude. You know, he, I think that he raised a lot of very interesting um, uh, points regarding uh, uh, this particular NDEs and NDEs in general, you know, and that's why I, I, I wanted to. Uh, bring you along to Grimerica because I think he he's the kind of uh, people who is in the radical center of this, uh, which in, in my personal point of view is a very important discussion, you know, the idea of consciousness of, and whether consciousness uh, can exist uh, without being sustained by a, by a physical body.
1: Well, th- thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean that, it was great, you know. Um I know Red Pill Junkie from listening to Mysterious Universe obsessively oh. and just hearing hearing that name dropped constantly. And uh I um I did write this thing on uh NDE's when elman Al Alexander's book came out for reality sandwich, the site that Daniel Pinchbeck founded co founded. And um it kinda didn't really go anywhere like the <laughs> Yes, it didn't really go anywhere um, when it came out. It was sort of uh, a blip, you know, and some people paid attention to it. But then I saw Evan Alexander was uh, uh, releasing a new book, um, and... I just thought, okay, this is a good time for me to sort of get back into that discussion because these things are on my mind. And I've been writing a lot more about science and health and medicine, that sort of stuff. I I usually get paid to write about sexuality and pornography and culture. But I've had this sort of interest in writing about these other topics a little more lately. So um, I I figured it was just good to have that on my site to refer people back to. as like, This is somewhat where my thinking is coming from and that has to do with uh criticisms of science in general criticisms of the philosophy of science criticisms of empiricism of what we consider proof what we consider evidence all that kind of stuff and how i just thought really like both sides Alvin alexander and uh and his critics particularly sam harris and you know he's a whole He's a whole bag of trouble, but um, Sam Harris and, and those people were just sort of like kept hitting the most boring basic points, um, you know, and I can play that game too. I mean, uh, something I say in the article is uh, that Red Pill Jump he's referring to is uh, there are scientific questions that I have for Evan Alexander that nobody's asked about um, – E. coli bacteria perhaps having hallucinogenic substances in the bacteria themselves, that sort of stuff. I can play that game, but really like the way we're talking and having this cultural discussion about NDEs um, and other sort of paranormal or occult events just seems to me to be totally wrong. And that stems from uh, a discussion about science in our culture that is really kind of basic and and, and dumb. So <laughs> that, that's my starting point. <laughs>
3: Yeah, no, we we appreciate that take on it. I mean, we we have those sort of discussions in here all the time, and I mean, I we haven't really talked about the NDE uh, phenomena in general, but we've talked uh, about ha- having this discussion a lot. Like we listened to, uh, and we've had Alex Takaris on from Skeptical, and he he addresses uh, the NDE phenomena quite a bit. And I almost feel like we should be shouldn't be calling it NDE, like as a culture. To me, like it's been it's been, there's a lot of evidence out there that people have actually died and come back. And it's almost like it should be like certain death phenomena, like, or a certain death experience. Like, so mm-hmm. it's pretty easy for me to go like, there's a possibility of, of life after death here. Like we can't just deny that all these people have these experiences and it seems like, uh, you know, the death is not the end of it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I totally agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't get. I mean, I think first of all, it's like, why are we even privileging this view of that there is nothing after death? And we're getting into this whole discussion of uh, li- is there life after death? Is this NDE? All that kind of stuff. It's like, uh, you know, are people seeing angels and white lights and all that? It's like we 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 use that as our starting point when, in fact, no no culture ever in the history of our planet has ever had that belief. (laughs) So what does that tell us about us? It's like we have to wipe every single belief system, structure of perception, culture um, from any era, including our own, aside from this one Western materialistic idea um, off the table, you know, and then we have to prove our way back to it. And to me, that just seems really ridiculous I mean it's it's one way to look at things and I appreciate some of the consistency of that way of looking at things but it's not enough for me to just buy in wholesale to it
2: you know was there any certain one event that took place or like you said you kind of you were writing about sexuality and other things and you sort of jumped into writing like this is that an interest you always had or is that something like that just came about
1: it's something i've always had so i like i said i just i just get paid more often to write about sexuality and relationships and pornography and stuff so that's what ends up coming out more often um so it it was something that i was writing all along um but sort of the pieces that got more attention were always these sexuality ones so like you know i wrote two different pieces for this magazine called the stranger in seattle and they were both cover stories and one was about porn and then the other was about like ways to view treatment like medical treatment in our culture and of course the porn one was this huge viral thing and then the treatment one was you know much smaller (laughs) even though they're both the cover story you know both the same author so it's it's like there's a certain cultural attunement to um sexuality and pornography written about in a thoughtful way uh that these other issues are still sort of finding their footing in you know
2: it seems like it's getting better, though. Like,
3: yeah. yeah. Which way? Which way?
2: Like, uh, like the foothold's getting stronger. Uh huh. On these, everything.
3: Yeah, I, I think so.
2: Yeah. Or maybe it's just because we're so far down the rabbit hole
3: that that's it could. All we see. It could be that we're biased, but I think the mainstream is so lame now; it's so fake <laughs> that I think people are enjoying uh, these alternate views on things.
1: Yeah it's it's really, it, and the ways that people are getting their sort of non-mainstream stuff is also usually kind of lame. Like I used to write for Vice. I don't write for them anymore. I mean, Vice does some great stuff. There's some great writers for Vice, but as a whole, it's like people go to Vice because it's like news of the weird meets like extreme sports. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's like, it's a very like basic approach to things. Like there's not a lot of depth there. So I think the thing that's maybe happening is like, people really want to ask deeper questions. They might not know how, and they might not know how to continue the conversation, you know, and they've been shamed for asking those questions. It's like, you bring up anything deep and people are like, oh, it's like, what are you smoking pot? Like, that's a stoner question. And it's like, (laughs) you know, so, you know, we're we're shamed out of even asking. Um, And so then it doesn't appear except in its most basic form. So I think, I think debt, I think that, the questions are always there but like the access to depth has really sort of been extinguished you know
3: but it's interesting because you're you're in a unique spot because you have all these other interests and yet also you know the stuff you get paid to do and it must be changing in the last few years too in in the whole sex industry and and especially porn because it seems to be like crossing this line where it is kind of more respected and there is more depth to mm-hmm to that. And it it seems like less of a victim, victim industry and more of a, a power. How am I, what am I trying to say? Do you know what I mean? Like a more of like an empowerment kind of industry now. Mm. Yeah. I think the cultural
1: discussion has shifted a little bit for sex workers that it's like, Oh, maybe you actually want to do that. Like (laughs) maybe for some crazy reason, you actually, you actually want to have sex for money. You know, it's like, is such a no brainer. Meanwhile, everybody is
3: wishing that they could do that too.
1: (laughs) I think part of that is people hate their fucking jobs. I mean, I think that that's a big part of it. It's like, people just don't want, people just don't like the jobs that they have. So it's like you hear about someone doing something that's pleasurable for work. Like you start thinking, Hmm, you know, maybe, you know, um, So I think that's part of it. And also I think job security, like economy has like opened up the option of doing sex work to more and more people because they were just trying No, see puns are unavoidable with me. They're trying to make ends meet. (laughs) So it's like, (laughs) or innuendo or at least. So it's like they, they, um, you know, I think a lot of people just honestly investigated that as a way to, um, make money and that's brought some, uh, respectability, compassion, and understanding to it.
3: What about, what about sexuality as a whole though? Like I grew up, so I was born in seventies. So I'm the oldest out of all three of you guys.
1: (laughs) I was also born in the seventies. Yeah.
3: Yeah, me too, man. So yeah, I
1: was born like
3: (laughs) six months into the seventies, like (laughs) July, 1970. So, but you know, I,
2: I was born, uh, Oh, no, 13 years into the 70s.
3: So I was cursed with, like, growing up in the 80s where there was great music, but the, the women were just not sexy. Like, they kind of seemed a little bit sexy at the time. Really? I always
2: assumed you guys thought they were sexy at the time.
3: Yeah, a little bit. But now, like, it didn't take long to realize, like, ah, ouch, kind of. But, I mean, it's so it's changed so much. Like, the women, I mean, of course there was, like, there was sex back then and stuff, but it seems to me and I might be biased because I'm a little older, but it seems to me like there's so much more overt sexuality. Like there's sites like Chive where just normal people are putting on like sexy photos of themselves and stuff. like It just seems to be out there more. Have you, have you seen a a big shift in the last little while?
1: On the one hand, yes. And on the other hand, no, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, I think, I think the proliferation of sexuality is something people bring up when they bring up the internet, you know, like, or they bring up whatever. But it's like the proliferation of everything, you know, everything is more visible. So it's like, on the one hand, maybe... Uh On the other hand, it's just sort of keeping pace with everything else. I mean, I don't see it as some sort of standing outside of the general trend in in, in culture. And I also think that um, people found ways to represent themselves sexually in, in other ways. It's like, well, maybe it's a big shift from the 80s to now, but it's like we're less sexual than um, – classical societies in, in
3: Greece and Rome. So yeah, yeah, said,
1: yeah. we're kind of actually like way far behind uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where culture could have gone. And you a know? lot of
3: other cultures too, really. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. So what about speaking of, of that? I mean, people even say that VR, VR, like virtual reality will, you know, the growth behind that will be porn too. I mean, if you guys, uh-huh. have you guys, have <laughs> no, you experienced definitely. any of that like yet or? Like have you have you got your virtual image on somebody's uh, game yet? No, not yet. <laughs> Although I think I think some people have done
1: Oculus Rift porn, right? But I think like mm-hmm. um, I don't. I'm not really interested in that. I'm <laughs> <That's laughs> a bad person to ask. I mean, I think like all the sort of virtual technologies, that kind of stuff. They've never really held much interest for me because to me the world is so like but it's so bizarre like there's always sort of a secondary like spiritual world to engage with that i don't need like an extra sensory materialist world to engage in so i there's something a little like not that thrilling to me about it i don't know like about extra you guys but it's a
2: material like, world
1: <laughs> well it's like it's not it's not uh i mean people like to think that this virtual reality world is like somehow escaping material world. They're like, oh man, like people will be able to escape all the confines of their bodies and have try on different like avatars and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, yeah, but you still need your senses to perceive it. So actually, it's more rooted in materialistic thought and empiricism. So it's actually like just subnatural. Like it's, it's like worse than materialism in some ways. So to me, I, and not to knock it, like there's, I'm sure there's something entertaining and exciting about it if I look for it. But it's it's just not held that much interest for me. Um the Spiritual perception and, and, and engagement with the world is much more fascinating to me than that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, I can agree with that. I get excited about the other applications because I'm not a big gamer. But yeah. for me, like maybe someplace I'll probably never be able to visit if I can like, you know, go into uh, a virtual world. Or, yourself. you know, if I live across the world, but I can, you know, meet RPJ in some diner for lunch and shake his hand or, you know, see your mom uh, and, uh, and give her a <laughs> hug from across across the country and shit like that like i think if it gets to that level but i mean you got to take all the shit that goes along with that i mean you've got the ability now to just text your mom whenever you want or your shaking wife whenever you want. shaking my hand in a diner are.
4: man i will be riding a fucking dragon <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're part of the problem then Red,
1: so.
3: <laughs> I, I mean it's, I it's no mine. it's
1: it's totally like that's that all sounds appealing to me, and that is like you know I mean it's how we I'm not a I, you know Christopher Ryan and I don't necessarily see eye to eye on this kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm not I'm not I'm not interested in like the destruction of technology or like the end of civilization or any of that kind of stuff. I just it you know what matters is how we greet that technology. Everything mm-hmm. you said sounds perfectly fine and awesome to me and I, I love those applications of it too I mean it's unfortunate that most people aren't talking about it in that way because it sounds much more exciting than playing a game to me
3: yeah I, I know what you mean yeah huh. I think and games
2: games and lead the games lead that sort of thing you no know? you know like they say porn leads like apps and internet shit I think games lead some of that technology because there's still For I mean, now For like now. I'm not a big gamer it seems like there's four of us RPG are, are, are you a gamer Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, so Uh there you go. That's probably about (laughs) it. 25% of the population. It's like for the 75% that don't, there's 25% that that do often and then like 5% of them are fucking hardcore. Yeah.
0: Uh
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Like, and this what kid about, that uh, works at, for us, like, that's his, like, aspiration is he wants to have a fucking gamer YouTube channel, and he's there telling me about his dream, and I'm just like, oh, my fucking
0: God. <laughs> well, I, do
3: I don't that, understand what you mean, like a gamer YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah, I guess I don't people, get people
2: play, watch people games play video games on YouTube, and they get subscribers, yeah, so that yeah. I don't know how it works. Maybe Red could fill us in on that. I have no idea.
4: Yeah, they go. They 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 uh, make uh, walkthroughs of levels in games. You know, maybe it will be. It's helpful. You know, to know what you have to do in order to beat the level, or maybe to beat the miniboss or whatever. You know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so uh-huh. you got to be I the actually,
2: first person to get it up there.
1: So I don't know. Like Nintendo, I, it's like Nintendo power.
4: Yeah, I actually think that virtual reality, if it comes true, you know, uh, games will not be like the main focus of the, of the te- technology as we. As we imagine right now. Because I imagine if if someone actually has a, a, a very uh, impressive virtual reality visor, you know, and they want to play a first-person first shooter like, I don't know, Halo or, or, or some of those, Call of Duty or whatever, I, maybe... After just 10 minutes, they will be just, you know, ready to throw up, you know? They will be so uh-huh. immersed. They they will be suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder just from, from 10 minutes of it. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Right.
3: So, yeah. so have you had any uh like you, you're interested in NDEs and all that? Have you had any experiences uh that have made you like have you like you said you've always been interested in that type of thing and you listen to Mysterious Universe, so obviously you've got you know, pretty mm. a pretty broad uh, <clears throat> interest in topics and stuff like that. Have you had any personal experiences that have, or, or well, let's say even synchronicities that have kind of led you down the path? Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting
1: is like, those are experiences like <laughs> people think that sex is really intimate and I have no problem displaying sex, but I sometimes think that these spiritual experiences are so intimate. They're mm. They're some of the most intimate experiences that you can have. And so, yeah. I sometimes hesitate about talking about them too much, not because I have any shame around them or guilt, but because they're so difficult to communicate to other people, which was something actually I wrote a little bit about in the NDE article. It's like, it's so difficult to communicate these experiences to others in a way that's meaningful and not just sort of like, like wacky, you know, (laughs) like, um, that, that, uh, I, I hold them back sometimes unless I'm having like a really intimate conversation with someone. Now that said, there are some things that I've talked about publicly before, but there's this whole realm of stuff that I don't because it's so like, first of all, I have to sit with it still and be like, am I like, I'm not completely certain that I'm not crazy. You know, (laughs) (laughs) like I don't want to go professing the word of, you know, like I don't want to go professing like the word of these bizarre experiences when I, and not equipped to interpret them completely yet. So I talk to people who have more experience interpreting them than me huh. and that, that helps guide me through it. But you know, there are, there are ones that I've talked about. Um, one that I've talked about, uh, came through meditation, you know, doing this one meditation for three months straight every day, just for five minutes. Nice. It's this object meditation. And, uh, I can talk more about the meditation itself, but I had no plan. I was just doing the meditation just to do it. And I was walking to from my house to the grocery store from my apartment in San Francisco. I lived in San Francisco at the time to the grocery store. And halfway there, I had this thought that was, um, how do I know how to get back to my house even though I can't see it? Like It was just this weird thought. And do you guys remember Spider-Man and his amazing friends like where <laughs> they would like pull the trophy in the living room and everything would flip over like the, the, the oh, yeah. lazy boy recliner and like the fireplace and everything would be these like giant computers and stuff. It was sort of like that. It was like everything just sort of turned upside down when I had that thought. It was like everything just revealed itself. And, and what happened was every object around me became a thought form. It was very strange. It was like, oh, a step is a thought that creates another thought of pressure in this thought that I think is my foot. And every all the cars passing by were sort of like errant thoughts. It was like if you're trying to get to the end of an equation and you know the answer, which was the grocery store, which was I was on my way to it, um, if you start letting other thoughts get in too much, you don't ever get to the end. But I knew how to do my work to get to the end of the equation. And it was this very bizarre thing where – everything was just thinking like not, there was no materiality to anything. And that lasted for about an hour and a half. And then it went back to normal, but I can still sort of access, turn that on and off a little bit um, when I want to. And that was a really intense and bizarre experience that came about through spiritual practice.
2: What was the, uh, what was the meditation? If any of our listeners want to try and, cause that sounds <laughs> like that sounds like almost close to something you'd experience. On psychedelics.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. um, The difference in my experience with psychedelics and this was it had nothing to do, there was nothing physical. So, like, psychedelics is, like, I would experience myself sort of, like, the world becomes, like, hyper-real in a way. And this was something different. This was, like, there was no extra color or extra image. It was, like, nothing was sensory anymore. It was all just, like, a shifting push and pull of consciousness. And so... Um, so the, the meditation is, is very simple. (laughs) Um, and I don't think, let me just preface it by saying, I don't think that what happened for me will happen for everybody. Like meditation is so individualized. It'll give everybody something different. So this isn't a prescription to get into that state. This is just the meditation. And if that happens, awesome. And if not, you know, I'm just saying what happened to me after three months of doing it. So it was every day for 5 minutes you know you take an object a very simple object man made preferably a pen a pencil a thumbtack something that doesn't have too many moving parts or whatever so don't use like a computer or whatever a toothpick is fine or you know whatever and you just you know first you look at it eventually you don't have to look at it anymore but first you look at it for a few minutes then you close your eyes and you envision the object in your sort of mind's eye, right? And Mm. you turn it over with your sort of inner hands. You can feel it with your inner hands. You can twirl it around. You can um, think about anything related to that object, where it was made, the materials it's made out of, its components, you just sort of recreate it. And uh, anytime you stray from that, like, so if you're thinking of a pen, you know, if your object is a pen and suddenly you're like, uh, thinking about you know uh, a computer program or something at work, you trace your thoughts backwards to the pen. So you're like, oh, I was thinking about the computer because I was thinking about the paper at my desk and thinking about how I needed a pen the other day. Yeah, so yeah. I was using a pen, right? Like, so you go backward to it. Right. And you just do that five minutes every day, twice a day, um, mm. once in the morning, once at night with the same object. It actually sa- it sounds boring, but it's actually really <laughs> invigorating and interesting. And then it gets boring and then it gets interesting again. <laughs> and, uh, and eventually this weird thing happens where you realize that the entire, or for me, I'm, I shouldn't say you, this weird thing happened for me in which I realized that the entire material world was something that was created within myself. And I knew that because I identified with the physical, uh, quote, objectivity, unquote, of the pen within myself. And then suddenly I realized that it was all in me. Um, So, yeah.
2: (laughs) I like that because it's like my trouble with meditation is that's the problem is I can't fucking, I just can't stay focused on nothing or whatever. There's always something else. I like the idea of having a goal instead of the goal be nothing.
3: Yeah, <laughs> right. That it seems go- like
2: a better place for a guy it's to, trying get to Just
3: trying to empty your mind is, is a lot harder than actually single-minded focus. on Exactly, the objects, it's easier
2: right? for me to focus than yeah. to unfocus. Yeah. Mm.
1: That no mind meditation is, I think, for Westerners probably the single hardest meditation that anybody could ever try. And for that mm. reason, it's not that I think it's worthless. I just think it's like you want to spend your whole life doing like this thing that's counterintuitive to everything your culture has ever told you ever. Like, you know, there are better ways maybe to meditate for our mental, you know, our structure of consciousness. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And yet yours, yours still incorporated the mindfulness part, like tracing your thoughts back to where they came from is very, it seems very mindful to me. Like part of like mindfulness meditation.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. Well, and it, it also like, it also strengthens your ability to, uh, form logical streams of thought when you're
3: communicating
1: with yeah. other people, <laughs> because everything yeah. is connected. It's not yeah. just disjointed, you
3: know. Yeah, I meant to say at the beginning of the show that like nothing is off limits here, and and you, we can't talk about everything. And uh, yeah, and I feel like this is an intimate atmosphere, so you're welcome <laughs> to share any of your personal experiences <laughs> with us here in, in Gray America.
1: Well, uh, you know, I've had much weirder experiences than that. I mean, that one was really profound in Zara, but I mean, I've definitely had experiences of, and and I won't go into detail of of these um, in a specific way, but I, I've had experiences of you know other of of the presence of spiritual beings for sure, um, and those have taken the, the form of um, uh, of people who are dead, but also people who are, but also, uh, beings that are not human at all. Um, and again, not in any sort of materialistic, like abducted by an alien, you know, kind of way. Not that I necessarily completely not discount that. that, not, wrong with that. I right, <laughs> right, not that there's <laughs> anything wrong with being probed, but I think like, <laughs> but I've had, I've had those experiences too. Um, I've had, you know, sure, I've had like lucid dreams and out-of-body experiences, dissociative experiences. I think these things are a lot more common than, you know, I think everybody has experiences like that, you know, in one way or another. If you ask, someone will always find at least one. You know, unless they're like fucking Mossimo, uh, what's his name, Pug- Pugliucci or whatever, you know, uh, or, or just debunker people because they'll debunk themselves, you know.
3: Yeah,
2: it's true. I've been trying to do the fall asleep through the bed one, but like, I'm always too tired. From- I always get distracted and then I wake up.
1: It's so I don't know what that is. We name were talking it? to the,
2: the lucid dream guy and he was talking about how to, like, induce... For people who haven't done it, how to induce like an out-of-body experience. Or He he was saying like lucid dreaming is almost too much if you've never really been done it or tried it. So he was saying like his thing to start was to like, as you're falling asleep, you picture yourself just sinking right through the bed onto the floor. And then eventually one time, you're all of a sudden it's going to happen. You're going to hit the floor. And then he's like, it's going to surprise you so much. You're going to wake up and you're going to be back in your bed.
1: But. And then you meet Freddie and discover your dream power. Oh, no. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so let me ask you something, Connor. You know now that we are talking about uh, debunkers and uh, meditation practices and all that, what is your opinion of uh, San Harris? Because this is a guy who he is one of the spokespersons of the 80s movement. You know, he is a materialist, but he is also, you know, a, a, a meditation pract- uh, practitioner, you know, from, from a very early age. He's also dabbled in psychedelics. And yet, you know, all those practices have, in fact, reinforced in him, you know, his conclusions that, you know, uh, uh not only the world is an illusion you know but you know the, nothing else you know everything is meaningless and uh, and there is nothing beyond the material world
1: yeah i mean i would say um what would I call that? I would call that like spiritual bulimia, you
4: know what
1: I mean? It's like I'm going to swallow all this and then puke it up, you know, so I'm not yes. absorbing any of the substance of the thing that I'm ingesting, you know, because I refuse to digest it. I just want to taste it. I mean, I think it's so shallow and I think, you know, it's like uh, Sam Harris is Sam Harris is a bigot. Uh, Sam Harris is, a, is, a, is publicly displayed himself as a pretty disgusting human being. Now, do the, I think that atheists are disgusting human beings. No, I and, and there are actually plenty of atheists in that sort of new atheist cadre that I have much more respect for than Sam Harris. But I think that like when it comes to, uh, I mean, I won't mince words, he's just bottom of the barrel. Like his, his philosophy is really shallow. <laughs> And I just think it's like, I don't, I mean, when, when he says he meditates and that's led him to this conclusion, it's like, all right, dude, like I can meditate and lead myself to any conclusion as well that I want. Like if this conclusion is foregone, like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there, I, I can do anything like his, his meditation practice is not proof. Just as my meditation practice, that thing I mentioned before is in no way proof of, uh, is in no way proof that the the there is no material world. I'm ex- I'm reporting my experience to translate that experience into an overarching truth is really um it is really loses sight of, of of individuality and it's dehumanizing in some sense, you know. So
2: well, I, I think <laughs> a lot of it is like yeah. maybe allegory or um, not yeah, allegory, metaphoric. metaphoric and stuff. Or sorry, yeah, metaphoric and stuff. Uh-huh.
1: you mean anecdotal is that what you mean or is it like
4: evidence
3: no i mean more like um like personal experience you mean it can only be translated metaphorically or yeah like
2: or even your experience itself is more of a metaphor personalized to you
3: yes it
1: it, will a metaphor yes I, i mean i think it's like the I don't know if I would say it was a metaphor, but I would say that, like, I'm—I have, oh, sure, yeah, it's a metaphor, but it, it's also has some sort of meaning that is individualized in this weird address of yeah, I think cultural, of, biological factors that make me up. You know,
4: I think it's the problem of subjectivity. How our the current materialistic paradigm governing modern science, you know, ha, uh, has uh, tried to, to get rid of subjective uh, experience, you know, to say, okay, okay, so I have this mystical vision and it was just something I myself experienced, you know, very subjective. And the, uh, uh, and the quote unquote objective scientist says, well, you know, uh, good for you, but since I can't replicate it in the laboratory, you know, <laughs> your very mystical experiences doesn't mean a thing
1: right <laughs> right i mean it that's so that's so weird i mean as if every experiment that's replicated doesn't also take place somehow within the scientist who Mm. conducts the experiment and therefore has an added subjective dimension. The thing that's objective is not the experiment. It's the language that you use to report the experiment to others. (sighs) And so it's like, that's where the sort of concrete exactness of an experiment lies. It's not in the actual conduction of the experiment at all. And so I think that that's really... Uh, you know, it's like get people to agree on language and suddenly we have an objective view of the world. Um, But uh, it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't prove anything in the way that they say it does.
3: Yeah. That's (laughs) that's a great way to look at it. It it reminds me of, I heard you say something, I think in, in one of Chris's podcasts about, uh, you look for when when somebody says something is true, like when, when science talks about something being true. Yeah, it, it's it's basically and start working
2: th- on your book not for, actually, because in ten years it's, it's going to be it's yeah. not
3: true anymore. Yeah, <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Well, I think it, it. There's just no. I don't remember saying that, but that sounds good. I'll take yeah.
3: that. I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I probably messed it up pretty good, but
1: <laughs> well, Chris and I had this interesting like little scuffle on one of his podcasts about like. And he did that thing. He's like, oh, that's like what a stoner says, where I, I tried, I sort of presented the, the idea that, well, like when you're not in the other room looking at the refri- what's in the refrigerator, when you're not looking at the food in the refrigerator, it's not there. And he got really frustrated with yeah, that. Yeah. He's like, of course it's there. Yeah, yeah. And and uh. and it, it might be there, but it's not there in the same way as it is when I look at it. You know, it's like, um, this is something that, Philosophers have said for a long time, I'm going to attribute this to the wrong person, and that pisses me off. But I think it was Novalis who said something like, "You know, not God knows that not even a worm can, in His creation, can crawl without me looking at it." Um, I'm not, I'm not totally getting that quote right, and I might even be attributed to the wrong person. So, so there we go. But what he means is like nothing's complete until I encounter it. Um, the, the the there's this. Uh, aspect of the universe that desires to be completed by being interacted with by thought um, and if you don't believe me and and i 'm sure there are people some some people resisting that notion it's like how how can you how can you even debate it like I, <laughs> where where is that coming from it's coming from your thinking it's coming from your statements your thoughts your concepts all that kind of stuff your disagreement so it's like no, just nothing happens when i don't Think it when I don't encounter it. Um,
4: you n- yeah. You know, getting back to the, the, to the <coughs> video game analogy we were discussing earlier, you know, uh, that reminds me of how uh, modern video games operate. You know, you go through a level, you know, in which you encounter, you know, a number of things, you know, maybe a tree or a rock that, that the programmer modeled, you know, you go through, you pass by them, you know, and then it's not like it will be, it will be remained there. For all time, you know, the, the computer in the video game, you know, <coughs> destroys it and only regenerates it if you pass uh, through the, the same area, you know. So maybe right. if we go through the philosophical argument that this world, you know, is just, you know, a projection or a video game or a hologram, you know, maybe that's what happens with when consciousness, you know, uh, encounters objects are, are, are and somehow generates them as needs be if right that makes any sense
1: no totally and i think that um that some things seem to have more permanence and materiality than other things and those things are the ones uh how shall i say this if it, it, it's like the, the world is made up of something that in, that activates itself into being when it encounters consciousness and the mm-hmm. p- the places that seem the most sort of objective or material are the places where the most number of individualized consciousnesses overlap and become heavy so if it's like I'm sitting at a table, you're sitting at a table. A lot of people would have the same conception of that table and that's what makes that table material. It's this sort of overlapping layers of consciousness that sink down into becoming this thing that we all sort of agree upon. Um, there are a lot of things we agree upon a lot less than tables. So I think <laughs> that's why some realms of the world seem more subjective and some seem more objective. It's like some sort of uh, agreement to make some things real. So I don't, I don't know if any of that made that, sense. but Yeah, that's, you guys little, deal that's, with that's the same sort of stuff
2: <laughs> we talked about with the Mikaswami. Except that's a lot easier to swallow than how he explained.
1: It. <laughs> how he explained it
2: broke my fucking brain.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I hate that I didn't break your brain, dude. <laughs>
2: but I like, no, well, I like the idea. Like that's the same thing. Like, cause that gets into when we're talking to Jim Elvage about, uh, I mean, he talks about the universe being digital and it's all wow. a simulation. And he said, when they challenge him on, you know, how could they ever store this much information to store, you know, all the molecules inside all these trees and this and that. And he's, in his book, he says, well, you know, you don't need to because the inside of that tree doesn't exist until you cut into it. And then all of a sudden, then it generates it. And that's why you, no matter how yeah. fucking small you keep going, the simulation will keep generating something else for you to find. And that's sort of the same thing that you hear in these old Eastern yeah. philosophies, right? Yeah. yeah.
4: right. Except and we have
2: to explain it in a fucking material way that it's a computer doing it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Totally. Like, I think we have to be like really vigilant about the metaphors we use or else we'll like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll just fall into new traps that we, we, we could just easily avoid. So it's like, you know, the, 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 aborigine, Australian aborigines have, you know, Bruce Chatwin wrote this book called The Songlines*, where they would walk through the outback and sing the world into existence as they walked it, you know. So these ideas are very old. And it's like, of course, there are all these video game simulation uh, metaphors right now for how the universe works and how it might be functioning and stuff because that's that's the kind of stuff we're dealing with but it's it's better to view the metaphor as a symbol of something that's happening in consciousness rather than an actual description of it. so like you know uh the internet. For example, like we could say that everything works like the internet, and everything's webbed together, and there's like a cloud where the information sort of comes down, all that kind of stuff. But it could be, more be like, well, the internet is sort of like a, a symbol for our deeper knowledge that the Akashic record exists. You know, yeah, it's yeah, us yeah. trying to materialize this occult, this occult truth, um, and it, and I think. Our draw towards certain metaphors come when we're trying to learn a certain truth about our consciousness. So the the digital world simulation, hologram stuff, it's worthwhile. But I think so many people are getting carried away with it. You know? yeah, like when yes, like, the exactly. world is actually a video game, and it's like, yeah. n- no, no, <laughs>
4: <It's not laughs> yeah, We game. say, oh, the, the universe is like a computer because we happen to live in a uh, computer age, <laughs> and we are right. become so dependent of computers. You know. But like you said, you know, that is only a, a metaphor. That is maybe is a little more accurate than the metaphors used by by our ancestors, but we shouldn't think that we have come to the ultimate realization of what how the nature of the reality
2: yeah it's like the same as angels becoming ufo's yeah
4: exactly yeah but right. the, fr- the it's,
3: more fr- ac- it's more accurate for our time it's more accurate exactly for our time. yeah the frustrating part is, though, is is we know consciousness plays a part in in reality with the observer effect and the placebo and all that, and yet this whole mm-hmm. thing is ignored by the mainstream scientific and academic community, and that's what that's what kind of frustrates me is that all this stuff is just so easy for them to debunk, and yet, uh, or or maybe it's not, but it, they sure make it seem easy, and yet they just sweep it under the rug and like it doesn't exist.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> to- totally totally weird, right? Like I was talking to my boyfriend today, he's a
1: doctor and we've had a lot of sort of fun volleys back and forth about medicine, you know? And, Mm. um, uh, you know, I, I was just talking today about how like, like Western medicine has never, uh, very rarely ever helped me. In fact, it's mostly made my life worse. (laughs) And, And now that's not to say like, Thank you, Tylenol. I appreciate it. Thank you, Novocaine. Thank you, um Viagra. specific. Thank you, Viagra. Thank you. Well, <laughs> Viagra's an interesting one because that that's mostly placebo effect, but thank you, um, you know, like direct one-to-one antibiotic to this kind of, you know, uh yeah, bacteria. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um but but mostly it's like f- fucked my life up, you know, and the thing that's like really helped me is uh is investigating my psyche. And and that is all really linked to placebo. And I love, like, you know, people have pointed this out before. Like, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil pointed this out a long time ago. He's since sort of gone off the rails, but it's fine. But he he says, like, you know, like, we, we talk about, we dismiss things as if they're a placebo effect. You know, we say, oh, it's a placebo to dismiss things. And we have no idea what placebo is. It's the same thing I was talking to my boyfriend about today when I was like, you know, we say that people are like stressed out. We have no idea what stress is. Like when we say that's like stress induced disease, we have no idea what that connection would be, why it would happen, how it would work. Like we just come up with these placeholders for ignorance and then we throw them out. You know, we're like, oh, it's just stress. That's just placebo. That's just this. That's just that, you know, and it's so, uh, it's, really hilarious. <laughs> really, if you think about it, how little we know and how much we pretend to know by like putting these placeholders in,
3: you know? Well, and yet, and yet we know what reduces stress and yet we don't teach people at a young age to how to reduce their stress. Like why, why don't we teach mindfulness in schools? Right. Right. There's
1: no concept of, there's no concept of that. There's no concept of teaching religion in school either, which is something I've gotten a little like fights with people about because of course, it'd be very difficult to teach religion in school without trying to indoctrinate people. That's the claim. Um, no, you know, no one says no one says that about like business class in school. You know, I mean, that's indoctrination too. But like, but like, you don't learn about one of the major formative principles of history and culture in the world. Like, you're not allowed any access to it at all. <laughs> yeah, and it shouldn't be just one, me. right? It should be. It should be like totally. a class where you learn about all of them. Exactly. And how mm. they've influenced history and culture. And it's like, it, part of that is you don't want to offend people who are religious, but a, a larger part, I believe, is like this idea that it's going to somehow be dangerous and indoctrinate people. And it's like, okay, but once you do that, you sever people's ability to learn about it in any sort of like thoughtful way. So all they get is just imbibing it from, you know, the source that they have at home, you know, and so... Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a little sidetrack. But no, you said talk no, about. Any... <laughs> no. So
3: let's let's get back to the healing for a bit because we've we've had a spate of uh, healing episodes here in, in the Gramercia show, and we've talked about all kinds of different, like you know, energy healings and psychic healings and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I've been Gr- on a bit Grimes of a journey. <laughs> Reiki, Reiki, <buddy. laughs> um, and and you know, we've, I've been on my own little journey too. And and so, what would you? So your boyfriend's a doctor is he, is he fairly science, scientific is he is he open-minded about some of this alternative healing and and what are some of your like what's resonating with you right now as far as that type of thing goes? Huh. well as far as my boyfriend
1: goes he's uh, a D.O., so doctor of osteopathy. So that's the only other aside from some naturopaths, the only other certification you can get where you can prescribe medicine so it's recognized by the federal government as an as good as, as good as an MD. And basically, schooling for osteopathy is exactly the same as MD school. But there's this strange osteopathic stuff that you can get into if you want to. It's barely a requirement anymore. But you can sort of get into it and get as much out of it as you want. So he pursued that a little more than, uh, I think, some of his colleagues. Um, and, and so learned a bit more about it. So has this sort of uh, interest in subtle... Energies and stuff, but you know, mostly his practice is Western medicine. Um, he does age management medicine, um, and he has his own clinic. So basically, he just has I live in LA, so he just you know sees celebrities who want to look young, you
4: know,
3: <laughs> um, age management. I like that. That's good. Yeah, I yeah. need some
1: age management.
4: <laughs> oh, man. <Me> too. <laughs> so,
1: so, so we have lots of discussions about that. And, um, uh, about medicine, but he's very open. He's very open-minded.
2: Um, that almost seems like what we need more with more of, because like, uh, I always say you can't completely discount Western medicine. Like there's a lot of good and it. it's done a lot of good, but you know, there's a lot of bad too. And the truth probably does lie somewhere in the middle. Like it should be just another kit in the bag. Yeah.
1: It's, it's awesome. And it's, uh, limited,
4: you yeah, know, it's because- like, it's, Modern medicine is more about uh, treating the symptom rather than treating the root of the problem.
1: Yeah. I think, I think it thinks it's treating the root of the problem. Um, Mm. but I don't think it, I don't, I, I think in most cases it's not, but to treat the root of the problem. I mean, here's the thing to sort of answer your original question, like where I'm at with it. It's like, Most alternative medicines, they basically do the same. It's basically the same kind of thinking as Western medicine. So it's Hmm. like you go in, like, you know, to an acupuncturist. Now, there are some very traditional acupuncturists who don't do this, but mostly now you go to an acupuncturist in like California or whatever, and they're like, oh, you're having a headache. Let me put the needles here and here, and that will fix your headache. Or, uh, Hmm. you know, are you, are you, you you know, you get sick and like you go to a naturopath and they're like, oh, you have a stomach ache. You probably have Crohn's disease, which is a Western diagnosis. So I'll give you these herbs instead of you taking this pill. So it's basically the same kind of medicine. And what what you really acquire is a completely different conception of your anatomy, of what anatomy is, of uh, what a body is, what materialness is, what makes us up. And so – Actually, the closest thing that I can think of that does that is going to sound bizarre, but it is psychoanalysis, which uh, seeks to the the, the body is almost a symptom itself in psychoanalysis of, of your unconscious organization. In actual psychoanalysis, not therapy, but I mean psychoanalysis that has gone through all the iterations of time from Freud through to Lacan and and, and so forth. And so I think, and and, and Hodorowsky, uh, later even than that, with his psycho magic, um, his sort of like analytical framework, I think th- coming up with a new conception of the body that is highly personalized is really where medicine as far as I'm concerned is that we should all be working on creating our own understanding of anatomy, uh, that's individualized to us. What actually is our body, you know, and then we go to a doctor and talk to them, you know, and they give us their feedback and then we do whatever we want with what they say.
3: Huh? I'm trying to wrap my head around that. So <laughs> it, 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 it was, it was, it's good. It's I've never, I've never thought of it like that, but cause they, they do say, You know, there's scientific evidence out there about how well counseling and talk therapy and stuff is, but you're not talking about that so much as actually uh, psychoanalysis, right? So can you, I don't know, can you get into that a little bit more? Like how, so would it, would it show me how to, how to look at my body and its functions a different way, maybe? Well, Okay, <laughs> this
1: is gonna be compli- This is gonna be complicated. <laughs> I love that. Like this, this is the part that I think is complicated because I'm still working my own thoughts through. Okay, this. cool. Um, so, so, uh, so don't hold me to. Well, don't hold me to anything I say ever because I'll probably change my mind tomorrow. But just <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> um, but I think it's like so. So Jacques Lacan, I don't know if you guys know anything about Lacan, right? So Lacan is this psychoanalyst, French psychoanalyst, that is uh, notoriously impenetrable, like very difficult to read. I find him very invigorating. It's easier for me to read stuff about him than it is to read stuff by him. But I find it very fascinating to read his stuff. You just have to take it little by little. And one of his ideas was that um, the, that you could tell what someone's unconsciousness was like by listening to the words that they use, and not just hearing the words that they use um, uh, just to talk about the main point, but, but what were the sort of like surrounding words that they use? What do those words sound like? Um, it was almost like a divining pool. He was very occulty without admitting it. Like, I, I think he would have even claimed to be an atheist, but very, very occulty. So you might recognize some of this from like the Kabbalah or some other systems where he, He would like, so something I would say is like, I kept saying to my boyfriend, I wanna be heard, I wanna be heard, I wanna be heard. And when I went into analysis and started talking to the psychoanalyst, we were talking about intimacy and being, and and, and my need to sort of like get in fights with someone to feel like I'm loved. And suddenly, like, it just flipped over, like this little switch in my head. I was like, oh, I'm actually saying I wanna be hurt. I want to be hurt. I want to be hurt. Like, why do I keep saying this word over and over again? It's not heard. It's actually, I'm trying to express something that's inexpressible. Or, like, if you listen to someone talk and they keep, you know, like they talk about going on a camping trip, like they have a dream about going on a camping trip. We can interpret the dream if you want, or you can hear the words. So, like, they're talking about, uh, Like all the regular details that you would hear. Oh, we like set up the tent and then there was this monster in the woods or whatever. But it's like the little words that they would use that they wouldn't notice that they were using. Like if they kept saying, uh, and I'm standing on a, uh, standing near this precipice, right? Or they keep saying precipice again and again. So you question them about that word, this weird sort of incidental word, and all sorts of things show up. So, this is why it's complicated because that was just the beginning of what I want to say. So I'll just step back and like hear if you guys have anything to say about
4: that before. Do I you can think that it. is in some way related to what they call uh, neural linguistic programming? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say.
1: A, a, a little bit. I like I like some aspects of neurolinguistic linguistic programming. It's like a really good fix if you have an immediate problem that you need to take care of. Right. It's like you, if you're having like a serious, intense problem, it's good to like sort of do that weird swipe you know, it's like, it's like, it's like mental Tinder, you know, when you (laughs) swipe to the left on your problem, it's like neuro-linguistic programming, (laughs) get out of here, you know, it's like, (laughs) so I think it's like, um, uh, but, but what I'm talking about more is you begin to get these little markers of your inner landscape, because you're the words that you repeat without knowing that you've repeated them begin to give you a sort of little bit of a map or a compass or some sort of directional marker to the shape of your inner world Um, because they're the little parts of you that you don't recognize that are coming to the surface every once in a while. They're these little markers. And so I think that that's part of the way that you begin to understand and interpret your sort of... Inner dimension, your inner landscape—that is really your spirit, where your spiritual reality resides—is by paying attention to your language. Um, so I can go on more about that, but that's those are just sort of initial thoughts that uh, I'm kind of saying out loud for the first time. So <laughs> forgive <laughs> them, being convoluted. No, I like <laughs> that's, it. That's great. Yeah, yeah we that's always get a, a couple
4: first in Grand America. I wonder remind- if someone could make some kind of app. That could actually do that, you know, listen Uh to you for a whole day, Uh you know, and then, you know, create a sort of, like you say, you know, linguistic map of the things that you keep repeating, you know, in order for you to interpret it.
3: Yeah, here's totally. your here's your psychoanalysis language report. You
4: know, oh, I curse. Yeah. I You're I curse. nuts, Yeah,
3: Darren's number one word would be fucker, fuck,
1: <laughs> fucking. Well, that would certainly say said- something about him psychoanalytically. Yeah, you'd said fuck a hundred and fifty <laughs> times today, Darren.
2: <laughs> I wonder what the fuck that means. Uh, uh, uh.
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think, so, so let me talk about Lacan a little bit more because, so what mm-hmm. Lacan say is like, and you'd hear some of this in Robert Anton Wilson and some other people too, is like, we're all, we're, like, picture, picture the, para- the, the classic paranoid schizophrenic that's in, um, like movies about conspiracies. Like you go in the house, he's sitting there on the floor and there's just like this whole wall covered with pictures and there's like lines drawn yeah, to everything. Like Mel and, like, Gibson. Of yarn like and
4: Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. So, so what Lacan would say was like, look, we're actually all that. It's just that with a paranoid schizophrenic, it comes to the surface. But our, but our egos are all like that. They're all completely paranoid and schizophrenic because nothing is actually really connected unless we decide to connect it. So, we all create giant conspiracy theories. The, the, the purpose in life is, or, or, or the, the, the pathway to health. Is to be able to choose what you want. Is be able to choose like the the paranoid schizophrenic version of reality that you want instead of just being uh, instead of just letting it run away with you. Hmm. So it's like desire actually for him is like the highest principle. Like do what you want. It's it's very Crowleyan. you know. Like mm-hmm. do what thou wilt should be the hole of the wall. But what do thou wilt? Like what do you actually want? You know. So right. it's it's trying to. Be able to create your own map, but you can't and and, and pick your own points of emphasis. But you can't really do that until you start discovering where you've laid down the connections without realizing it. So that's part of that roadmap uh, as well.
3: So it reminds me of uh, we've talked about some uh, hypnosis, uh, and I've talked to a couple people Mm -hmm. myself who do who do different types of hypnosis, and basically what they're trying to do is clear away all the garbage in your ego and reach your higher self. And they feel like at some point you can ask your higher self questions and, and under hypnosis, you can get, you know, pretty, uh, staggering answers and it can be very healing and it can even go into past lives or whatever. It kind of sounds similar in a way, like you're kind of getting through, kind of peeling away all the crap and getting to some, uh, you know, deeper layers of maybe your subconscious or higher self.
1: Totally. I wonder and worry about hypnosis as not being an intentional path there. So you could be led there by all kinds of forces that you would not necessarily want interfering. You know, that's why people who do like memory recovery and stuff often come up with totally, completely off the wall and bonkers like memories. Now, I'm not saying always, but I think that memory retrieval is really Fallible science. I, maybe Alex Sakaris says something different to say because I know he's like into it. Because a lot of abductees talk about it and stuff. But I yeah. think it's like, but I, but I think a lot of people, you know, they come up with these crazy that that whole satanic panic ritual abuse thing from the '80s came from a lot of like memory retrieval, which was just completely wrong, completely bonkers. Auto, you know, suggested. By the hypnotherapist and the people who talk to the kids before the hypnotherapist and all that kind of stuff, and 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 lots of child molestation, daycare, you know, rings of terror, and all that kind of stuff come from there. So I worry about the things that would sort of interfere if you're not sort of trotting it as close to your thinking as possible.
3: Yeah, that's a legit legit uh, concern. I would say. <laughs> have you had experience with that? Like you've done, like I've done, I've done past life stuff uh, uh in in groups and on my own. And uh, it's been pretty, I had some pretty profound uh, feelings uh, and and experiences, but this is, I'm thinking of it more for uh, people that need like healing at a really, on a really deep level, like that maybe have been stuck in, uh, some some negative patterns, and they've got kinds of uh, complex physical, maybe maybe things going on that like Western medicine and all kinds of other healing really can't can't touch. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I think I think sometimes you have to trick people into being healed. <laughs> you know, I think
1: I think that that's that's actually probably the premise of most Western medicine is tricking <laughs> yeah. people into yeah. healing themselves. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, I think hypnosis is probably helps do that in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, helps sort of like just find its way into that little like pinhole that like allows healing to come in somehow. You yeah, know,
2: I've never been hypnotized. I don't know if I can be hypnotized.
4: I and think that hypnosis. Can. I've never, tri-
2: never even tried. I don't think, I can't think of a time. Maybe when I was a kid, we used to fuck around with each other and try to hypnotize uh-huh. each other. And then maybe sometimes we'd even pretend to be <laughs> hypnotized.
1: Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> No. Yeah, I think like Did it, didn't everyone
4: hypno- do that? <laughs> yeah. Hypnosis, like the placebo effect, you know, is one of the things that uh, we think we understand. But I, I, it's my personal opinion that we've just scratched the surface, you know, of of those those phenomena. I I don't think we understand hypnosis at all. You think it's like on MK Ultra levels? I don't know. I mean, I, I think that, like Connor said, you know, there's all sorts. Source all sorts of things that we have to consider, you know where people go through uh, high, uh, hypnosis therapy you know uh, I remember reading in one of Jack's va books you know when he was discussing this idea of you know people who were uh, researching uh, alleged alien abdu- alien abductions you know, so someone who thinks he might have been abducted by aliens goes to a person one of the, those researchers who is you know proposing the alien abduction, abductions theory you know and even if there wasn't any kind of living questions during the hypnotic, hypnosis therapy there may yet be some kind of uh, uh, contamination you know between the therapist and, 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 and the patient you know maybe in a, in a telepathic uh, avenue for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm.
1: Totally. Or just the cues they're getting from the room they're in or the cues they're getting from like what happened before. It's like, think about if you have a bad dream and like, like you have a dream that you got in a fight with your friend, you know, and your friend was just an asshole in the dream. And then you see them and you're like, you have this like residual feeling of like, what a fucker, you know, like you, you can have that. It's like, shit like that can happen before you go into hypnosis, you know, or like when you, you, you don't know the things that are contributing to the altered state of consciousness that you're about to enter into with this other person, you know, or even what kind of altered state of consciousness that is. So it's very, I think you're right. It's like, it's very, uh, <laughs> very dicey. And that that's not to say, I'm sure some people, some hypnotists, um, Actually, probably have it down. Like they're really careful. They really know what they're doing. But I think it's kind of, uh, I, I, it, it's a pro- probably pretty potent thing that we don't really know Same exactly. exactly.
3: Fire, Pandora's box, sort of. Totally. Yeah. I don't know. I think yeah. if you're at if you're at at some point where what if you're on a not cruise much ship and you want to quit smoking? Uh uh-huh. <laughs> well,
1: that seems that seems great, you know. Or like you can do those things where you hypnotize warts away. Have you heard about that? Oh, We're yeah, like a, yeah, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, so crazy. <laughs> you won't wanna sm- you
2: won't want to smoke anymore, but you won't like ice cream or you won't really crave anything ever again.
1: <laughs> right. You come you come to and you're just like a like a total like desireless zombie. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I um,
2: maybe that's zen. <laughs> <laughs> no.
1: that's horrible.
3: So Connor, before uh, I forget to, or we we skip right by it, I wanted to talk to you about evolution and, and your your education mm-hmm. there and and how this uh, has has come into your, you know your your consciousness lately. Because yeah. I feel like uh, I, I feel like this uniformitarianism, as Randall Carlson would say, view on uh, biological evolution and geographical evolution, like you know we're starting to prove that. Uh, I think they're starting to prove that. Biologic or uh, geologically, we didn't just uh, evolve uh, slowly, 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 like they say over you know millions of years. That there was some pretty big earth changes and catastrophes, and and I feel like we're stuck in this uniformitarianism view of evolution. If you try and say anything else, then you're labeled a creationist or like it seems like there's no wiggle room here. You're either on one extreme or the other. Uh huh. Yeah, that's because
1: Jerry Coyne is an asshole. Um, that's because. <laughs> That's, it, that's because richard Daw- Dawkins is an intelligent person who is and e o Wilson are intelligent people are totally misguided and um, just shut up. Um, i, I – I, I, like I, you know, this is very funny like I just bring these people up as like polarizing figures who I think could really be contributing like who are in some cases very original thinkers and very smart people who are so wrapped up in their own smartness that they refuse to see evidence. um you know, I, so. Just to qualify, I'm not just some, like, you know, tooting my horn about evolution without knowing anything about it. I went to grad school for three years um, for organismic and evolutionary biology, a program which I was not formally accepted into, but I was uh, in grad school for creative writing. And there was a scientist at my school named Lynn Margulies, who many people may know either because she was married to Carl Sagan or because she co founded the Gaia uh, theory with James Lovelock. Or because she discovered, um, or, or discovered proof that are that all cells with nuclei, um, or and organelles are symbioses of different types of bacteria. Um, so I studied with her. I, I knew she was at the school, so I approached her and I said, "Hey, can I be in this program?" Even though I don't have a science background, and she was like, at first she was very gruff about it, but then she <laughs> sort of begrudgingly let me in and then became like my mom and I studied very closely with her for three years. Um, so, so I have some background in it. (laughs) I'm not just like talking out of nowhere, although Richard Dawkins really got frustrated and couldn't stand Lynn, um, sort of toward the end of her life, um, because she Hmm. wouldn't stop saying he was wrong, um, which he is. So the, (laughs) so the, the, you know, the thing is like, this is the idea. Random genetic mutation meets natural selection and gradually like, leads to new species. It's actually something that's never been shown, ever. And this is something people need to know. It's like never been shown, ever, ever, that random genetic mutation plays that large a role. Everybody agrees on natural selection as some sort of principle in evolution. Um, even occultists, like, who are not scientific, would probably agree... That natural selection is important. The random gen- genetic mutation thing is probably leads to all kinds of adaptations of species, but so the rise of new species is probably very rare or almost never happens. And the reason why it's important to, like, say it's never been observed because, okay, like, well, that doesn't mean it can't be a viable theory. Um, is because there are different kinds of evolution and creations of new species that actually have been observed. And those happen through symbiosis. Those happen through a bacteria, uh, through a bacterium, or uh, usually a colony of bacteria, interacting with another organism and creating an organism that is so dependent on the existence of that bacteria in its own body through symbiosis that it cannot exist without it. This has, happened, this has been observed in the lab. It's been observed in nature, um, and it's like, okay, so if there's one that I can see happening and one that just remains a total theory, I'm going to side with the one that I could actually observe. Um, I still don't think that that's a complete picture. I think that there are other factors behind evolution, and one day I will write a book about evolution. That's like the, the long-term goal. I'd really love to write about different theories of evolution um, and how they all have a part of the truth in them somehow. Um, but the, the 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 principle of metamorphosis is to me the most interesting principle of evolution, and that just means like that there is a formative principle. In organisms. In other words, it's not an object. It's not like a gene does this, um, or a symbiotic organism meets another organism and then this happens. There's actually a formative principle, and I do not mean by any stretch of imagination intelligent design, um, <laughs> although we can talk about that separately. Um, but th- there's a formative principle that guides. Uh, organisms into having certain kinds of forms and moving into new forms. Um, and that's something that was explored by Goethe and has been updated by a lot of scientists in Europe, but is just sort of largely ignored in the English-speaking world. Um, and so that to me is the most interesting.
4: Are we talking here about the morphic fields, the, one, the thing that Robert <laughs> Sheldrake has been championed? <laughs>
1: Yes and no. Yes, okay. and that some, <laughs> yes and that some of those scientists would say that there's a, an overlap. in that I think they're wrong and I think that Rupert Sheldrake is totally wrong. So I love Rupert Sheldrake as a critic. I think he's an amazing critic of scientific, uh, uh, of, of scientific sort of blind spots and all that sort of stuff. But the idea of morphic fields is, again, it's just so materialist. It's like a field. We're not talking about a field. We're talking about... Moving our thinking from seeing objects into experiencing uh, gesture into experiencing movement. And that is not a field that is a different way to think. And that's a different way to apprehend organisms. So um, so yes, some people would say that. I would not say that. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, but I, I haven't really given you an actual picture of what I'm talking about. So you can ask me more about it, but it's probably easier for me to just answer questions than to sort of describe it totally. You know,
3: <laughs> I, I have yeah, I do have a lot of questions, but uh, so how does that change your view of how where we came from as humans? Now, or does that change your view? Like, I'm interested in mm-hmm. in sort of some of the dogmatic views on where we came from, and and uh,
2: we not life in general,
3: we. As humans. Human beings. Yeah.
2: Almost sapiens. Because I think life in general has to be the point, right? If, if the rest of the universe is kind of as boring and bland as all the planets need to be, then it, <laughs> the ones that do have shit, that's got to be the point.
1: Uh-huh. We're no? uh, we just
2: here for the universe to observe itself.
1: <laughs> well, then that hmm. would still be the point, right? <laughs> but I think, I, I think, like, here's what I think. And I'm not saying I can back this up. It's Yeah, just, no, no. We can totally speculate here. Best guess, good. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're all about it here. Well, you're not supposed to speculate about evolution, so um, (laughs) let me. um, I think that human beings are the oldest organism um, in in existence. And what do I mean by that? Because usually, what people say is human beings are really new on the scene, just a blip on the cosmic screen, all that kind of stuff. What I mean is that, like. We have this long ancestry from uh, some sort of probably thermoplasma or whatever. Original organisms were actually way before thermoplasms. Um, We have this history that leads up to us, you know. Um, And so while there are other organisms that are still adapting Since we're so new on this scene, that actually means we have the longest ancestry of almost any organism on the planet, Um, aside from some sorts of bacteria who are not there aren't really distinct species of bacteria. They all exchange genes. So um, they're kind of just one big species. But if you have this whole like lineage that leads up to human beings now, then that actually means that our lineage is the oldest. So in some ways, we're actually the oldest organism <laughs> on the planet. And people like to say that we're new all the time. And so what I think is this sort of like line that has gone through history from this original bacteria to us was this formative principle that was somehow – Um, moving its way toward incorporating more and more of the external world into a being. Um, And that's us, that's human beings. And all the other organisms are sort of cast off from this path of evolution. So in some weird way, all organisms have developed from us, not vice versa. So that's, that's, there you go. (laughs)
2: <laughs> so everything is sort of a branch of yeah an offshoot of us and that's exactly. the i like the bacteria idea so basically that's just saying that all life is sort of a combination of two other things that came together
1: <laughs> sure, sure like there's no like that's the direct layman? there's wait say it again
2: so like you were saying how how um Instead of mutation, it's more like a bacteria finds a host, and then the host can't live without it. And now you've got a new life form. So basically, you're talking about just taking two different life forms at whatever level and combining them, and that's sort of where the different this and that's come from. Like where where does that stop? I guess like how long ago? Was, I guess that's all always going on at some level.
1: Always going on, right? Like we we don't see it in vertebrates because they're because the scale is weird. But if you took all the bacteria out of the gut of a cow, it would die right away. So it's like, you know, and and, and our cells are bacteria and the chloroplasts in plants are cyanobacteria that merged with, you know, other, that merged with other cell, uh, other organisms. I mean, everything is, everything is symbiotic in some way or another.
2: It's like the, the next great civilization after humans could be just some bacteria growing on my <laughs> so, dog shit in the backyard
4: right now. So... What you're saying is that there is something in the evolutionary uh, process, uh, living and driving towards higher levels of complexity and inevitably to intelligence.
1: Yes, now
4: that me, almost seems like
2: an algorithm.
1: Let me t- <laughs> t- totally algorithmic, if you want to view it that way. Let me refine the statement a little bit, which I agree with. Maybe not complexity it's actually holding back development because if you look at like uh, the fin of a, a whale or the wing of a bat um, or a hoof of a horse they're all um, developments like if you if you sort of x-ray the the whale's fin right you see these finger like structures right or if you look at the bat's wing you see again these finger like structures what happened is this sort of it, there's this thing called neoteny, meaning you retain the the, the features of the younger uh, version of the organism. Um, there's this sort of thing that's holding back the specialization of our development. Keeping there's it as generalist. Mm-hmm, exactly. And the, 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 the energy, whatever you want to say, the uh, formative principle, the metamorphic principle that would have extended itself into over-specialization has been held back. Is retained and then moves into and generates itself as thought, um, or some other
3: interactivity. Hmm. So, did, did that help, Red? <laughs>
1: Red, I,
4: I need to get back to you on this in a week or so. I'll be, I'll be able to digest. This, but but, but, but it, it's fascinating, you know, these these ideas, you know of. Uh, Moving away from the simple, you know, materialistic explanation that, oh yeah, you know, some some cosmic ray, you know, uh, collided with the genome genome of this species and then created a mutation and then maybe that mutation helped him, you know, attain some kind of trait that made it more fit. And led itself to to breeding more and mating and, and 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 spreading its genome to toward the the, the next generation and so on and so forth.
1: Mm. Right, like it's that's the cost-benefit analysis version of evolution. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it's so economically based and so naive. I think you know, mm. it's like it's naive in general to think that we can apprehend the world through our senses and understand it. So empiricism, which is the foundation of science is itself completely ridiculous, you know, because this is all based on the senses. That's how we're supposed to apprehend everything. (laughs) But when it comes to like, when it comes to like evolution, right. It's like, yeah, it's so, it's so silly to think that it would be that materialistic, that there's no formative principle, that there's nothing really happening. Like it, it almost takes like a verb, out of it totally it's just like object 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 it's just Mm. like a flip book of objects you know instead of anything happening um but there's something happening we can't we can't see it what makes a plant different than a stone the plant grows but we don't talk about that we talk about it as if that's just chemicals but why should this chemical meeting this chemical do anything um it, there there's some sort of principle that makes this material grow and live and breathe and I don't mean vitalism this is again where people get like really like well that's vitalism that's what people used to say like yeah. in the you know 19th century or whatever I don't mean that I mean that there is something happening and we can't deny that there's something happening so let's start to describe that and not just come up with some wistful, stupid term like vitalism or energy or whatever we want to say. Like, let's really observe it and talk about it and try to engage with it in a scientific way.
3: Now, isn't that what, what Sheldrake is trying to do? Like, he, like, through his morphic resonance, right? You know, he, hasn't he shown that if uh, certain uh, traits can be passed on in different time, time frames in different parts of the world uh, through, you know, basically the... the I don't want to say the field because then you bring it back to being materialistic, but through uh, the that's a metaphor, the oneness, you know? yeah, the the oneness, yeah,
1: yes. I wish that Rupert Sheldrake, I wish I thought that Rupert Sheldrake thought that it was a metaphor because I don't think he does. <laughs> I think he thinks it's a field. Right. I mean, I, I've read the presence of the past and I've read, uh, what is it, the new science of life, which is basically the scientific version of the presence mm-hmm. of the past. And so, and I've read some recent articles of his, yeah, so yeah. I can't claim to be a Rupert Sheldrake expert. Um, I've seen him speak. Um, and again, I really appreciate him. I think he's, I think he's a great, critic and, and and really good at seeing what's in front of him and sort of taking it apart but it requires a different kind of thinking altogether to understand what's happening you can't just do what the naturopath does and give like saw palmetto instead of antibiotics to someone like <laughs> yeah, yeah. you can't just put fields in the gaps yeah, yeah you know, yeah. you have to mm-hmm. like you have to come up with a new way of thinking and that is that's something totally different. And that's not in my view, what he's doing. Although maybe he is now and maybe I'm outdated and maybe if I had a conversation with him, he would give me a total smack down and I'd
3: <laughs> be happy. You know? Yeah, yeah. So I, I got, I got a lot of questions still. It's crazy. That's evolution thing. So, First of all, uh, what do you think about like out of out of place artifacts? Graves a creationist, and, and I am not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> can't <be a> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't have a, a label at all. I'm, I'm,
3: uh-huh. I'm just curious to how, as You're curious definitely as hell. Curious, um, like the out of out of place artifacts. We haven't really talked about that much on the show, but and about alternate um, civilization, like civilization of us humans adv- being advanced Atlantean. and collapsing, and over over you know, maybe thousands of years and just that evidence just being, you know, wiped away through catastrophe or whatever. I guess I have, I have that. And then also just to reconcile that the us, us humans coming from, from the, uh, the chimpanzees and stuff. uh, Is that, is that totally set? Is that proven? Like the people, isn't there like a missing piece of, of humans coming from, Are we talking about the
4: the alleged human footprints alongside the dinosaur footprints found in, I don't know, Texas (laughs) or whatever? I don't know. Just to make clear. (laughs) I'm not talking talking about about that, that, Graham. I'm not
3: talking about anything. Now that would be
1: awesome, but I don't think that that's what he's talking about. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's not. If, no, okay. So, uh, so those are two like total different discussions. Yeah, I was yeah. going to so, say, how do you just, just how, say, how do you just well, back take your pick those questions? So, okay. like,
3: <laughs> I didn't want to leave anything off the table. So, <laughs>
1: so, the, so the ape thing for me is that's also interesting. I mean, uh, that sort of relates back to what I was saying before. Yeah. If you look at the head form of a human child and the head form of a of an ape baby, whatever you call those, <laughs> um, the, you, you see that the up. head forms are very much the same. Mm. The neoteny that happens with the human being, the neotenous thing, I'm not exactly sure what the term is is, the human being grows and retains the head shape of being a child. The ape form actually slants downward toward Earth. Its face becomes mm. condensed. Its limbs move forward. It continues to specialize toward the forces of gravity. Whereas the human being continues to grow sort of up in this straight line. In fact, we're the only ones really that walk up, right? I mean, this has been noted by evolutionary biologists before. Um, very strange that 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 we're the only organisms that do this. And so it's So that would again, always make, oh, sorry. No, it's again, we we're holding back a formative force that continues on in apes. Um, and you can see that in their development. Our forms are very similar. Um, when when we're born but then as they continue to grow something further happens with them that is held back in us so you know i would say there's this almost sort of cast off it's like they're 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 almost sort of um gosh i don't want more say of an thing.
2: offshoot of us than we are of them that that would go yeah. back to us being like the master file
4: well uh-huh. this, yes, this, the master this reminds file. me of uh, of this a species that that is native in mexico you know what we call ajolotes, you know, axolotls, you know, this, which re- retains a uh form throughout its adult life, but you can al- you can actually try to coax him, you know, I think in l- in the laboratory, you know, to, to achieve its its quote unquote adult form, you know, to, and and it, it almost as as if it becomes a different species altogether. It's like
1: a it's like a it's an amphibian. Is that yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've seen those, right? And they have fingers. Yeah, they're and the, sp- and they
4: retain like gills, you know, throughout most of throughout their adult natural life cycle. You know, it's like they. Re- what is the, the name of the 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 frog before uh, before they become frogs? What is the, tadpoles. the name of? Okay, it's like they they remain tadpoles uh-huh. throughout the, their whole adult adult life.
1: That's really fascinating. So I'm maybe well,
4: what, we we humans are the tadpoles of of another species that uh, is uh, <laughs> yet yeah, to 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 appear or something, you know? Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, maybe. I mean, we're our own. We're developing into something for sure, and mm-hmm. I would say that that something uh, is internalizing more and more of the the, the external world. Like, so you have. Fish becoming amphibians, so the amphibians internalize water, and then you have amphibians becoming reptiles, so the reptiles have internalized uh, or, uh, or have have internalized this sort of like land water state in themselves, so they can just sort of move around. And then you have mammals, which are warm blooded, which have internalized the sun. Um, so you have this like constant like sort of stuffing of the universe into organisms. So whatever it is that we will continue to pool into ourselves, it would probably be, um, my, my, my guess, I wrote this essay about time a long time ago, and sort of taking off this book called The Ever-Present Origin by uh, Jean Gebser, this philosopher, um, where he says we're, we're going to undergo this change in our relation to time. And so uh, I think we'll in, integrate Maybe this is it. Maybe we'll integrate time states into ourselves in a way that, uh, and and that will change our bodily forms as well. And that all goes back to your ancient civilization found artifact stuff because we we human beings probably had different kinds of bodies, and so that's why some of the evidence is lost. Um, uh, maybe even um, less substantial bodies than we have now. Maybe more cartilaginous, something like that. Um, but that's a really fascinating question to me. Why don't we remember anything from ancient Egypt or ancient r- Rome? Like, why has that mm. been lost? How is that memory, that cultural memory? When you have Australian Aborigines, again, I bring them up again, they're, uh, the, that that group, of, that community and group of people is really interesting to me because they're very, at least apparently, their culture is very different. They can look at things that are very, very old and interpret them very easily, right? Like, so there's this sort of like, I mean, of course, there are a lot of different languages for, for Australian Aborigines as well. So it's not just a monoculture, but they can, the, but, but some of them can look at things that are very old and interpret. We can't do that with things that are in our past. There's been so much memory loss. And that's a really interesting question to me as to why. And I would say that there's just fundamental shifts in consciousness structures that don't allow us to access um, yeah. the
3: meaning. Yeah. 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 If you talk to the new age community, they would probably disagree and say, I can remember my Atlantean life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember a Lemuria.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. But those people like never remember like their appointments or their car. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, I don't I don't remember any like what do you mean you remember Lemuria? I don't even remember like yeah anyway. Last week, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah totally.
2: I wonder if that's species wide. Like I wonder if like a dog remembers the last time he was a dog.
1: Uh-huh. He's just <laughs> like, oh this again. <laughs> yeah. I don't, that's a, that's ab- a stoner ab- question. Me <laughs> 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 do you think the dog's thinking, dude? uh. <laughs> You guys have pets? Uh, I have a
2: cat. I have two dogs and a cat.
1: They're they're weird, right? Like I I never wanted a pet as an adult. I always used to say one of life's great pleasures is never owning a pet. Yeah. Yeah. But but then my boyfriend has this like standard poodle. It's like this huge dog, and he's like really smart. And I've become like totally enamored with him. He's like so fascinating to me. And he's so weird. Like his consciousness is just totally impenetrable. Like when I when I, I, I know I can like I know I can project all kinds of shit onto him, you know, and think he's thinking this or think he's thinking that. But I, 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 there's an emotional expression of his behavior that's happening. But I I have no idea if he thinks thoughts ever, you know. I mean, I I know he expresses emotion, but I have no idea if he's thinking. I would guess not, but I I don't
4: know. It's an interesting idea because, you know, dogs – Uh, have been known that they don't have really the same uh, concept of the past as we do, right? So you you could almost say that they live in an eternal present. And if you talk to... To uh, spiritual prat- practitioners, they they will tell you that being enlightened is being, is, is <laughs> remaining in the eternal now. So then you can conclude, you know, dogs are are, are enlightened <laughs> beings. So
2: they're actually, they're an ascended level from us. So when you like <laughs> exactly. do your, when you reincarnate enough times and you figure your shit out, then you become back as a dog and, and you just go on the couch. That's, yeah.
4: that's why the song says, Religion is the smile on a dog, yeah. And I'm asking the stoner questions. Right.
1: You come back and you come to bodhisattva dog and then like the less enlightened than you have to pick your shit up. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, I think I think they're like their their bodies are their emotions. Like their behavior mm. is their emotional expression. So it's not that they have It's not that they have emotion. They are emotion. Like, it's what happens when you encounter a being that lives in an emotion dimension. You know, it's like its dimensionality is different. It doesn't have this extra thinking part present in it. I mean, it might be somewhere else in the universe, but it's not present in the dog. So just all its behaviors are are emotion, you know, whereas we experience emotion inwardly, and then sometimes we can choose how to express it, and sometimes it just erupts from us. It's just constant eruption from from dogs. But dogs are sort of a bad example because they live near people so often that they're probably the least, they're the most used to express what animals do, think, and feel, but they're probably the least worthwhile candidates for describing what animals do and feel because they're around people all the time, yeah, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah
2: that's a yeah. good point. <laughs> I don't think my dog thinks much.
1: He <laughs> sleeps a lot. Yeah. <laughs>
3: huh. yeah, I think pets are fascinating. My cat just blows me away all the time. He he fucking leaps at me. He he'll jump at me from like ten <laughs> feet and leap off my shoulders. And it's like always needs attention though. He's always always wow. uh, wants to be around you. And like if you're not paying attention, like he'll he'll meow until I'm actually like present with him it's pretty interesting
2: i read that cats never meow in the wild they only meow to people
3: yeah that's, what that's right that's Yeah. really yeah yeah wow, you never hear so a cat meow
2: in the wild it's only interaction or even with other species it's strictly with people
3: well, what happens with cats as they get older is their vocabulary changes and they and they get more uh there's way more variety in their meows and you start to learn like which what meows or what like my cat's already starting to change the way he talks to me really yeah so So, it's it's cats are fucking trippy
1: so weird well i mean lions and tigers and stuff they roar i guess and they they i mean cats purr in the wild i would think but that meow thing
4: if that's specialized that's really Uh, weird lions pour you know you know only louder you know i, I uh-huh. can tell because my my nephew you know he's he's starting to become a vet you know he he actually last year he got a job on, at the zoo and he was in charge you know attending a lion you know that they uh-huh. they, they, they had you know and uh, uh, he when he talked to him you know the the, the, the this, this big giant animal you know he would behave like a like a fa- uh, 200 pounds cats uh-huh. you know, pouring to him you know so, so it's 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 interesting you know of course you know lions are uh, gre- gre- gregarious animals you know uh, unlike most cats you know who are you know solitary animals
3: totally solitary. oh yeah. have you yeah. seen that have you seen that video or there was that a
2: could s- be bullshit too i could have just got trolled
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. the
2: troll was extended to the
1: show <laughs> i <It's> heard somewhere <laughs> I await the bitchy corrective comments.
3: But there, there's a, uh, a show on about the Lion Whisperer. He's this guy that uh, rescued lions. I think it was lions or tigers. No, I think it was lions.
1: I would love if you would have said, uh, there's a show called The Lion Whisperer. It's this show about this guy that got
3: killed by a lion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, like you should see <laughs> these, he plays is. with these lions in the wild, like wrestles with them and yeah. and uh, he rescues them and they know him, but it's crazy. If you, I can't remember. Oh, where, is it uh,
1: that super hot guy?
3: It's yeah. like his, Yes, yeah. a super nice. fucking
1: hot guy.
3: Yeah. What is his name? Yeah, he, it's it's.
1: Oh my am- god, I'm in love amazing. with that guy.
3: Yeah, they're running yeah. around and and jumping on him and playing with him and. Yeah, yeah. It's I think it's a, either sixty yeah, minutes those or some all sort seem of documentary. No, this is. I think this is different. <laughs> yeah. It's good to go for like fifteen years and then boom. <laughs> and then one day <laughs> he died
2: doing what he loved. <laughs>
4: yeah. yeah, but at the same time, you 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 hear stories of you know. Uh, zookeepers keepers in India or whatever, you know, tending to to tigers, you know, who uh, they've been working with the same animal for tens of years, you know, and one day, you know, the animal just uh, didn't, you know, recognize him or whatever, you know, attacked him and 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 killed him. You know. His yeah. new cologne just fucking yeah, ruined yeah. it for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, no. So, oh, so uh, before I forget to ask you, Connor, I, I know we've been keeping it for quite a while here, is you mentioned you're speaking in Lethbridge. That's pretty close to here. Um, oh, yeah. What, we what do do actually you actually
2: have a surprisingly big local listenership, too.
3: Oh, you do? So some people so... could head down. Yeah, for it's sure. Only, oh, we know, I wouldn't say it's a big local. It's just surprising
2: well, Surprisingly yeah. for considering.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm going to speak at University of Lethbridge on uh, or Lethbridge on the 21st, which is a Saturday, which is kind of weird of March. Ooh. And um, mm, okay, uh, I don't know the day. exact time, but I'm going to talk about you know basically sex and, and and culture. I get sort of pulled in by the LGBT center um, uh, at the school, and um, so I'll I'll post that on my Twitter and my blog because yeah, it would be awesome to have people come out. I won't. I'll be talking about other things. I, I mean, I won't be talking as much about this kind of stuff, but I will be happy to answer audience questions about this sort of thing. For sure. Just yeah, catch half
2: the room off guard. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. What <laughs> <Totally>. the <laughs>
2: fuck are they talking about?
3: Talk about how, Yeah. You could do like a meditation on the spring equinox or something like that. You're, uh, you could have some uh, mm. ceremonial stuff going on there. Uh-huh. So <laughs> can we get, uh, you don't have to be a, a student there, do you? Like anybody can get in there? Public. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's going to be open to the public for sure. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and it, sh- it should be f- should be free.
1: I'll post all the details um, on my on my blog, which right it, it's connorhabib.wordpress.com, and it should be. It, it might by then just be moved over to connorhabib.com, which has been sort of. Uh, under sort of re overhaul for a really long time, which just means that I haven't hired a web <laughs> programmer to like <laughs> do all the work yet. But um, but conreview.wordpress.com is where everything's at, and um, that's been linked to on Daily Grail and all that kind of stuff. So, um,
3: yeah, I'll have yeah. that up. Yeah, definitely send me the link to the Lethbridge thing too. We'll get some people down there. I might come down and 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 hear that chat. What is it on sex and culture or something like
1: that? It'll be on um. Yeah. I mean, so I was hired by the LGBT student organization and they wanted me to sort of talk about the links between sex and sexuality, which is, that might sound funny to you that like, well, of course they're linked, but the way it's playing out in like um, LGBT communities right now is like that uh, there's this sort of general conservatism that's sort of leading the way, you know, like dealing with gay marriage and leading people into traditional relationships. And there's been this sort of split between the sort of, uh, more radical origin of, you know, rights groups that had done work for like gay rights and all that in the past. And, and, and now it's, you know, the, the, that sort of more radical foundation, which was very sex positive has been sort of set adrift a little bit. And there's as, as gays becoming more mainstream, there's sort of like, people are encountering the same confusions that maybe they didn't have to encounter before around sex and sexuality. So I'm just going to sort of talk about those things, but that sounds very academic, so, but my, they, all my talks are poppy, you know, they, sort of just, yeah.
3: Basically sad. you're saying that when gay people get married, they, they still have having sex too.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Just right. like, just exactly. Like, it, it, it ruins our lives. As much
3: as I, haven't, like, I haven't
2: experienced <laughs> that yet.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Whoa. I think it's like, it, it, yeah. So what? What I try to say is, gay rights for everybody, not, 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 not equality. What yeah. I mean is, like, I want straight mm. people to have gay rights. That would be much better. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> because it would be hope. better off. That's you get same. laid a lot yeah. more. You have more fun. You know, it would just be, it just be a happier world.
2: <laughs> we'll send Graham down for that. I, I don't know. Saturdays are tough.
3: Yeah, I'll go down. Sundays
2: down. are yeah, easier. Yeah, sure. yeah. You office folk, though, that Saturdays nothing.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's only like a two-hour. What time
2: it won't be like
1: first thing in the morning? I'm sure. No, no, no. It'll probably be like late afternoon, early evening, something okay, cool. like that. But yeah. seeing not too late. You're in, you guys are in Calgary. Yeah,
2: yes. yeah, Just okay, outside, so. just just east of the Calgary.
1: Yeah, that's where I'm flying into that um, day. No one no one
0: no one no one no one
3: so have you been traveling around doing lectures uh for a little while now then yeah yeah
1: for a few years um and it's 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 gone really well you know i mean uh last year was a little thinner because I didn't pursue it as much the year before. I just did a ton of lectures and uh, this year it looks like it's going to sort of pick up again because I'm a little more focused on it.
3: Right. And you, and you like speaking in front of hundreds of people. So so
1: easy. I just like, what I always say is like, you know, some people imagine like say like if you're going to give a speech, like imagine the audience naked, you know, and I, (laughs) And for me, it's like if I get nervous during a speech, I just imagine myself naked, and that calms me down. <laughs>
0: uh, that's
1: funny. I might tell that joke at the Lethbridge Talk, so uh, just, just I don't think I'm a total phony. <laughs> Recycling all my jokes.
2: Be prepared.
3: <laughs> um, hi. Hey, we're back. So how about uh, podcasting ideas? I heard, you, I heard you mention that. Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast too? Yeah, you know, it's something that I had to just sort of like let go of because I've been
1: wanting to do a podcast forever. Like before I started even appearing on podcasts, you know, I was a big fan of Duncan Trussell Family Hour and like um and then I was on it, which was like like a miracle because it was like my favorite podcast and then I just <laughs> he asked me to be on it. It was like really cool, you know, and I was on it a bunch of times and I, you know, there are a lot of podcasts I listen to all the time. I love Mysterious Universe and I love Skeptico and all that. Mm-hmm. And so I, I did, a, I recorded a few episodes, um, one of which was with Alex from Skeptico, which I transcribed the interview and put it, the conversation and put it in oh, wow. slightly edited form on my site. Um, yeah. And uh, I also talked to Duncan Laurie, this guy who does radionics, um, this like strange art. I don't know if you guys know anything about this. This like weird, strange art, sound, medicine thing. And I talked to this guy, P.T. Misselberger, who wrote a book on Crowley and Osho and Gurdjieff. Um, so I recorded all these, like, I had all these interviews. And then I was just like, it just doesn't feel right. Like these conversations are not the kind of conversations I want to hear. And so I just kind of gave it up. And then... I, I I when I moved to LA I have a friend who's a stand-up comedian and she and I did a couple test episodes and I was ready to go and then she got a job writing uh for Duck Dynasty which is like <laughs> it's so, so bizarre. She's like, I don't have any time anymore. And I was like, You're ditching me Duck for Dynasty Duck Dynasty as writers. I was as shocked as you, you know? <laughs> and then, and I was like, I can't believe you're ditching me for Duck Dynasty. And she's like, I need the, the D nasty money, you know? I don't have any money, you know? And I was like, All right, I got it. So then that never happened. And so it's just sort of like, I've kind of just had to let it go. But if, if, the, if the whole opportunity like just shows up in this perfect way, like then I will definitely jump in and do it because I, I, I mean, I'd love to. Um, but for some reason it just never, never clicked right for me. I don't know why, but one, maybe one day, maybe someone will just show up in my life. Maybe as a result of this podcast, someone will just show up in my life and, but I need someone to like bounce things off of. I can't, I couldn't do, I mean, you guys have, you guys do this with each other. Like I couldn't do it on my own for some reason. It feels like, no, either could I, I'd be too serious the whole time. Like I need someone to like, j- like joke it up a little bit with me or else I'm just like, I just, yeah, we'll once just you start trying
2: on. to joke it up with yourself. You slowly go crazy.
3: <laughs> totally. <laughs> no, and we, we couldn't even do this by ourselves. Like we have to have guests on too. Like, I don't want to just sit here and yap. I don't feel like I have enough to yeah. offer. Uh, just, I need to be talking to somebody. <clears throat> you need to engage for sure. Yeah.
2: Well, I think that's how the drunken Taoist started, or Taoist started, isn't it? Like, Daniele Bellelli was talking about he wanted to do a podcast, he didn't have the time, and then Richie Bon emailed him. He was like, well, I'll take care of the back right. end. Yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah,
4: that's, yeah, that's what you need, maybe Connor. You'll get somebody, an email. That,
3: somebody that you resonate with that'll just take care of all the, all the stuff. I love it when people take care of the back end. <laughs> <But I'll laughs> say, it's been a while since <laughs> a pun like that, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, but no, that's true. Like, if the structure were in place... I'd, I would jump at it for sure. Cause it just, it's not, I mean, conversation it's like, I, I say to people, all I care about is reading fucking and conversation. And so I've just made those three things, my job, you know? And like, if, if if I could just like make conversation more of something I did, I would, I would love that. I mean, well, I give talks, but
3: you yeah. Do you ever listen to sex with Emily? Or? Yeah. I've been on it. Yeah. Oh, have you? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, mean, you I, I haven't. haven't- yeah. I, I've you've been on podcasts that I've, that I listened to and I haven't <laughs> caught yet for some reason. So I love
1: Emily. Yeah.
3: I didn't know that. You, so you're, you're a fan of hers. I'll tell yeah. her. Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. I tried Emily's to hook up her and Chris M- Ryan. On M- the podcast. M-
1: and MU, I would love to, I was on MU actually in a s- strange way. Um, they talked to Russell Targ once and Russell Targ oh, yeah. described, uh, Russell time to describe this uh, online course that he did, and he was talking about how he was holding an object which was beneath the frame of the screen and just having people do like remote viewing. And one of the participants uh, said, uh, "Is it this?" and drew a picture of it. And it was like drew a picture of like a little teapot with a spout, a curving spout. And then it was this, cup that had this curving exact curving spot and that was me who drew it <laughs> so he he talked to, and like the guys were like whoa like that's great and i was like that was me that was like i'm like yelling into the air i'm like that was me guys um it, actually i wasn't a participant i taught the online class with him but that's fine <laughs> but still it was, so i i have been on mysterious universe sort of
2: i was on side. mu2 on the call show
1: was, you were uh, yeah what did you call them? shadow people
2: no, it was like the live show, so I just called in the app.
1: Oh and then I was on,
2: on for spilling my drink on Aaron too at the paradigm <laughs> symposium.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. I think those guys are kind of cute too. So i I would like, I would love to talk with them sometime. We've tweeted a couple of times, but that's that's the extent of it.
4: Well, they're talking about uh, that they're going to go to the Paradigm Symposium, you know, next October. Maybe you should try to also attend.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I've i always been interested in that, like, in the Paradigm Symposium. And I'm always, like, I'm such an egotistical asshole. Like, that, I, this thought seriously <laughs> happens in my head. I'm like, why don't they ask me to speak at that? Like, I get, like, so entitled. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, just turned into such an asshole. Like I don't know why. It's just like and then when I think that thought, like I'm just like, I'm not going to the fucking paradigm. <laughs> they, can they can ask me to come speak there. Like it's so bullshit. Like and and so it, it's not like I hold on to that thought. It just flicks through my mind for like a second. And then like I forget to like actually investigate and like look into it, you know? So I you're right. I just need to look into it and not be a dick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Should be a good one this year, Randall well, yeah. Carlson.
4: Randall Carlson wasn't supposed to speak you know, last year, but uh, after he went with uh, Graham Hancock you know, and mad- managed to gather so much momentum, now he's going to be one of the speakers. You know? So who knows? You know? If you turn up uh, this year, maybe <laughs> next year, you will be one of the speakers. I don't know who that is. Who could is be that?
2: more of a curse than a blessing.
4: <laughs> I know, I know. No, Randall Carlson, no, he's great. He's been on No, yeah no, yeah, no,
2: yeah. Randall Carlson's the shit. Yeah. Tell We've me. got like, we did two interviews with him. He's like a sacred geometry, well, catastrophist. catastrophist sort of fella. He'll blow your mind. Rogan's uh-huh. had him on a couple times. He's been on everywhere, I think, lately. He's definitely worth checking out. If you're into podcasts, you'll, you'll get a fucking kick out of him.
1: Right on. Yeah, that would be awesome. I, I will definitely, I'll definitely check him out. Joe is another person that's just, like, we keep, like, crossing, like, we have so many, like, people in common, and, like, we've tweeted back and forth to each other, you know, but it's just never, it's just sort of never materialized. It's kind of one of those weird things. That's how L.A. is. It's like, you might get asked, or you might be forgotten forever.
3: <laughs> you know, like, it's one, you never know. You never know which one it'll be. <laughs> That might be podcasting in general, man. We have a hard time <clears throat> scheduling guests too. It's like you just you're in contact with so many people and then you're overwhelmed with the amount of people and and right. it's uh, it's a, that's why you need somebody to take care of that back end for you. Time, like, man. A lot of
2: work. Time's the greatest natural resource. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who do you guys want to have on that you have not had on yet?
2: Well, we've been chasing Graham Hancock for a while.
1: Yeah. I sort of know him. Not not super well, but we I took a class with him before he became this like, I mean, he's always been kind of like fingerprints of the gods and stuff. He's always yeah, been kind. Of, like, old, was, yeah. But, but he, but he like after supernatural came out, became like a thing. And I took this class with him, like just before that book came out. And then he asked me to like write something for his website and we kept in touch a little bit. And he's just like, he's just like a sweet fellow. Like, he's just like, he's kind of a total sweetheart. You know, he's like, he gets like really red in the face and pissed off at the way people like talk about shit all the time. He's like such a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) But he must be asked to like do
3: these kinds of things like 8 billion times a week. Yeah,
2: Yeah. for for sure. We'll get him eventually, I'm confident. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, we want to do some... uh...
2: We've been chasing Rogan and Trussell too. Uh Trussell we've like almost had a couple of times on Twitter. And then Uh when when it comes down to scheduling, everything falls apart. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's not the best at that. Hippies are tough.
3: But yeah, we want to do stuff on uh, on uh, free en- free energy, do a couple things like that. Um, awesome. Want to get uh, Peter LeVend on about Nazi stuff. I've got uh, Dr. Gordon Freeman on Canada Stonehenge lined up. And Gordon Freeman on, from Half-Life 2? Uh, and then there's... No, not, not that <laughs> one. <laughs> oh, and then there's... Man. Uh, you know, the American Stonehenge one. There's a there's a whole bunch of stuff we want to... There's a guy that Randall Carlson mentioned, too, that, that looks fascinating from the UK. I'm trying to
2: pick up his Is that right the now. mythology guy?
3: Uh, no. We want to do a couple on synchronicities, too. People who have studied synchronicities. So, Paul Devereux is the guy.
4: Those ah, Paul Devereaux, yeah. yeah. She's written for Daily Grid. So, it's,
3: it's a long list.
1: Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good. That means you'll just keep getting... That you
3: have a lot to choose from. That's good.
2: Yeah, we'll keep going till they cancel us.
3: Yeah, till it's, <laughs> till it becomes illegal. <laughs> yeah, till, uh-huh. you till you
2: need a license. Till you don't toe the line.
1: Till it becomes like pump up the volume nightmare. <laughs> yeah.
4: Jacques Vallée will be my number one. You know, like. Jacques yeah, Jacques Vallée.
2: Yeah. I think um, I think you can. If you want to get in touch with him, you have to fucking mail him a letter.
3: That's probably a good idea. Yeah, yeah probably, know, was, it always
2: seems like. I want that instant gratification, though, of an email. It's like if I would have done it when I first thought of it like a year and a half ago, probably would have got a response by now.
4: Yeah, I've been chastising been <laughs> my friend Greg Bishop, you know, to, to finally go for it and mail him and ask him to go on his uh, podcast, Radio Misterioso, You know, and I, uh, uh, he told me last time, I, 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 I kept nagging at, at him with it, you know, that he's going to do, ask him uh, later this month. So that's if if that happens, that's going to be one hell of a podcast to listen to.
1: Awesome. Art,
4: Art Bell would be sweet, too. Art Bell? Yeah. I think hey, he we- just canceled
2: his show again. That was coming this year.
1: Uh, oh. um, I would love to have a conversation with Alejandro Hodorowsky. I feel like we just have a lot to talk about.
4: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. His psychomagic oh, stuff is fascinating.
1: That's so, so interesting to me there's that that book psychomagic in particular is amazing and there's this other book that's very similar to it which i was going to tell you guys about before when we we're talking about healing called the mages of strovolos okay. which is uh which is about this greek healer that lived in strovolos um i forget the author's name markides i think m a r k i d e s is the last name i think that's right okay. and uh he lived in this little town in when he was a kid, and he goes back to like meet this sort of weird magus healer guy, and uh, it's a really profound book. So it, a lot of my thoughts about healing were sort of there were things that I that that were new to me, and then there were also things that in that Hodorowski book, *Psychomagic*, and in this book, *The Magus of were just sort of I kind of thought, but were articulated um, by these books, and are really really profound.
3: Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I made a note of those. See, this is the beauty about about doing this is we don't have any agenda or we don't have to follow anybody's thing. We can just chat with people we find interesting, right? Like, you know, just talking to yeah. people like you that we can talk to about a multi- multitude of uh different topics. It's just that's what we would love to do here. That's awesome. We're not painted into any corners. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like we're going to have uh I want to have on uh, I don't know if you ever heard of um Noah Levine, he's uh, he Dharma punks. He wrote a book oh, yeah. on uh, a Buddhist uh, Buddhist recovery principles and stuff like that. We're gonna have him on, and uh, another awesome. one doing mindfulness meditations, uh, a couple guys like that. So there's you know, there's a bunch of things in the works. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's so important. Like,
1: just to have a conversation. It's like the mo- it's really the most beautiful thing. I mean, not to be, it will give you a sentimental end to our podcast together. But it is like really beautiful to like just sit and have a conversation with people, you know? Um, so open. It's one of the, the few, well, aside maybe from sex and, 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 and creation, like a few truly free things that we do. So, and that yeah. might
2: not be free yeah. forever. <laughs> no, you enjoy it while you can. Well, someone's listening to this. I'm sure, you know what, though, Skype this is, is fucking,
3: this is the feeling like I get when, uh, when people talk about the difference between uh, cooperation in society and, uh, and the competition, right? Like so many people talk about, Oh, I mean, even Rogan and these guys talk about how, uh, you know, it's all like striving competition and that's what what we live for. And I get a better feeling from cooperating with people and from meeting, like if you ever even just made a simple sale on Kijiji where you actually meet somebody in person, you have this, like just this, just this cool change of, money and goods and everybody's happy and like this just this feeling of camaraderie or cooperation I think that's what we want as humans
4: yeah and and Rogan is the ultimate potfather, you know the guy who gets he's always trying to promote and help his friends you know because mm. he has already realized this is not a, uh, what they call a zone zero game right you know that the, the, the mm. fame and, and 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 fortune that his uh, friends uh, might get, you know, is in no way, you know, uh, 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 getting from his own fame, you No, know? everybody wins in, in the end.
1: Yeah, I wish I wish I had. I wish I could access that spirit that he seems to have. Uh, a little more possession of, more often, you know. He he seems really good with all that, and it's really it's really something. And I think it's like when you talk about cooperation and competition, it's like, you know, it really just depends on the lens. It's like you can see people playing a basketball game against each other, but if you step back far enough, like you see that they've all agreed on the rules and to meet in the court. You know, <laughs> it's like mm. you just have to like take a certain view of it, you know, and and and. That's really a me, I, ottman, Brahmin difference, I think, um, too. You know, it's like, do you want to live in the me that is competitive or do you want to live in the I, which is generous and, and, and cooperative? Um, yeah. And, I, and Rogan, does, Rogan does sort of fall back into his I a lot, which is really nice.
2: Yeah. I'd like to get on, you know, that the Indian dude from the I Am documentary. <clears throat> I forget his name.
1: Oh, that's
3: super
2: positive. He just like, seems like the happiest guy on the planet.
3: Uh-huh. I want to get him on.
2: First I'll have to figure out his name. Yeah. Someone can email me his name.
3: I'll, I'll, write, I'll make a note of it right now for everybody. Yeah. The sort of female version of it, there's
1: uh, this woman, Byron Katie, and she's just the, she's the best man. Like I've, I've done a bunch of like workshops with her and she's just like, it's just like a meeting. So like you look at her and she just looks like such a corny new agey, like kind of person with her scarves and her tea and all that. And then you meet her and like, or you take a class with her and you're like, it's like, it's like standing in the presence of just like the most calming light that you've ever been in. And she's like, hello, sweetheart. You know, like she's just very, she's amazing.
4: You got any, uh, last questions, Red? Um, let me think. Uh, what about Connor? What do you think about uh William Reich and the a all his his theory about organ energy and all that jazz?
1: Yeah. you know he's, he's I love William Reich. He's like uh uh crazy and, <laughs> and 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 brilliant, you know, and like I can't tell which is which in his work all the time. And this guy, Doug Rushkoff, you know, he is, he's a media theorist, like Doug Doug and I have known each other for a really long time, and Doug said, "What does it feel like to be a human organ accumulator? It's <laughs> like people are like jerking off watching me all the time, you know like so um <laughs> it's funny, if, if other people say that, it's like a boast, but if I say it, it's actually just a fact which is kind of nice It feels like yeah, people jerk off to me all the time um so I think um uh i think I think Wilhelm Reich is um really amazing in his understanding that sex uh sexuality libido um and sexual energy uh has the power to free us from free us from certain kinds of disease certain kinds of mental block blocks um certain uh oppressive ways that we treat other people um and i think uh I think his his idea is that, like you know, the life force for people that don't really know that much about him, that there's this sort of sexual libidinous life force. He was a student of uh, uh, of Freud's, but he sort of took sex even further than Freud. Um, And he said, "This is like libidinous life force that runs through us can sort of get caught in our in our body in certain places, can get sort of stopped up from uh, being repressed or oppressed," Um, and you can see this, like you know, if someone's anxious, their breathing is contracted. So there's this sort of like stuckness to their breathing, or if someone uh, uh, clenches their jaw or whatever. There's this sort of place where this uh, moving uh, sexual energy sort of Kundalini? thing is, is stuck. Yeah, maybe, maybe. May, I wonder if he, I wonder if he investigated Kundalini. I'm, not, I'm not sure, but it. So he he said that like having an orgasm and there was like a good way to have an orgasm and a bad way to have an orgasm, but having an orgasm was a way to like uh, the the proper kind of orgasm was a way to fully release all the places that were stuck in you. Huh. And so like we all should reach to have better and more orgasms, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I'm I'm on board with I'm on board with elite, uh, with that for sure. <laughs> um, Is that like breath, through breathwork and stuff like that, or he does do breathwork stuff? Yeah, yeah, like so a lot of like there's this whole field of healing called bioenergetics, which is based on Reich, um, sort of evolved by this guy Lowen. Um, but there, there's also, uh, the, the breath work. Yeah. Like by, by breathing, we, uh, do some of the same work that, that, that orgasm does to sort of release things, um, to allow proper expansion and contraction. Um, and that also, um, he harnessed, he thought that he was harnessing that energy, to cure cancer, to he he created a cloudbuster. So there's that Kate Bush song. Oh, about, I love it. Cloudbusting. Uh. Yeah, that's about Wilhelm Reich's son, right? Uh. So um seeing seeing Wilhelm Reich be arrested because he was arrested, thrown in jail, all his work was burned by I think the yeah. FDA. Destroyed. So like mm-hmm. obvious, obviously nothing to see there. It must have all been yeah. factory. If they had to go to the trouble <laughs> to destroy it. Um, <laughs> So, you know, but also probably a crazy asshole in his own way. Like, you can just read it in some of his writing. You're just like, man, what a jerk. Like, he's kind of losing it, um, you know. But so what? So lots of people who are geniuses are assholes. That doesn't mean that they're wrong, you know. Right. Um, mm. So I, I don't know. I don't think I answered your question so much as it just described no, 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 no. everything.
4: <laughs> no, no, no. That's, not that's so enough
2: sometimes.
4: <laughs> yeah. And it reminded me of something I, I I read somewhere in some magazine in Spanish. You know that some philosopher who said that yeah that we humans are the children of ecstasy. You know, wow. ideally we were born all out of ecstasy and we will return to ecstasy. But the problem is that uh, most of humans living in this planet, you know, were born out of a, a very lame fuck. You know, so maybe that's that's the 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 core of all our problems. <laughs>
1: To, to, totally like if your creation story you know sex is everybody's creations personal creation story so it's like if your creation story is kind of just like a mediocre one you know yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a routine boring one like you want a better you want a better big bang you know
4: exactly, <laughs> <Start> exactly.
1: <yourself. laughs> Yep,
2: that seems like the perfect note <laughs> <laughs> if you take anything away from your conversation,
3: that's it. <laughs> Except better sex. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> right on. Well, man, is there anything else you want to mention before we uh, wrap it up? Um, no, I think you guys will probably put my Twitter on your site.
1: It's just yeah. at Comfeeb. And, um, uh, and your I love and your books, I love when maybe. people... My, well, my book, my book is sort of in in limbo right now because I uh, I actually have not announced this publicly yet. So oh. you guys will be the first to know. But I um, dissolved my contract with the publisher after some strange conflicts, which I won't go into. Um, so, so but that's okay because there are, uh, there someone else is looking at it right now. So it'll. I just don't have a release date for it yet. Okay, cool. Um, but the uh, but yeah, just my blog. And I love when people reach out, like if they hear stuff that they think is interesting, especially in this vein, the kind of stuff that you and I are talking about, because I get emails all the time that are like, I want to lick your ass, you know, I'm like, <laughs> I love those. I love those 2 They're kind of just one note, you know, <laughs> and so, so so if someone wants to talk about evolutionary, you know, theory or whatever. That's awesome. I'm always happy to hear
3: from people. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, that's good. Well, thanks for, thanks for coming on. It was a blast and yeah, yeah. We, can, we can do it again. Especially if you start writing that uh, book on evolution, that would be great to uh, Yeah, um, right on. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'd love, to, I'd love to come back on and uh, talk with some of the other people that you that you have on too. And I and I just want to say, Redfield, like thanks for the hookup, and um, I've had a great conversation. So it's nice to meet you guys and and to talk with all of you.
3: Right on. So, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'll probably grateful. see you in Lethbridge too. Oh yeah, awesome. I would love that
2: will be the one in the
3: Grimerica t shirt. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be
1: so many wearing that shirt that I won't. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Maybe you should not wear your shirt that day. You'll stand out
3: more.
2: Uh yeah, I, I suppose that's about it. Yeah, thanks for your time, Connor. We really appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll have to look at we're looking at doing a round table down the future. So uh we'll I'll we'll keep you nice. informed on that and we'll we'll probably in April sometime.
1: Okay. Awesome. Uh, right.
2: Okay. Thanks, buddy. Have a nice. good time. <laughs>
0: I can
2: I guess. Yeah. <laughs>
3: And we're back to the America show. That was our chat with Connor Habib. That was a fun one, eh? Oh, yeah. that's, that's what. Uh, those are the chats that make me really realize uh, we're doing something special, and, and I love what we do.
2: Yeah, and maybe we'll even have another uh, surprise chat. We'll see if we do end up, if either of us do end up making the trip to Lethbridge, if either or both of us make the trip, I should say, we might as well bring the Yeti. Oh, you think so? Yeti and the laptop in the car? I think that'd work just fine. Yeah, maybe, eh? The Yeti and the laptop in the Matrix. <laughs> That's hilarious. And we'll call it America in <laughs> the Matrix. Uh,
3: you could even say ASUS instead of laptop. That sounds better. The Yeti and the ASUS in the Matrix.
2: There you go. The Yeti and the ASUS in <laughs> the Matrix. That reminds me, I was thinking about paradigm. I was thinking maybe we should look at just bringing the Yeti and the laptop. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, maybe each night just trying to get a couple people up to the hotel room, bottle of wine. Just whatever. Round, round tables, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. All the America sessions.
3: Yeah. Did Connor, didn't did Connor mention he was going to try and get show the paradigm, up there? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be cool.
2: Our new buddy Bill says he's going to try and make it out too.
3: Yeah. We want to say hi to Bill too. He's uh, He's been fun to correspond with.
2: Yeah, we'll have to get him, uh, putting some of those blog, uh, thoughts,
3: I mean, he's got some blogs blog. right
2: there almost, yeah, right? he does,
3: yeah.
2: Yeah. Says he doesn't know what to write about, but he just wrote about it. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, we appreciate the support and, uh, always the emails are fun. Um, spam gram, synchronicities, lucid dreams, anything weird that I can rate. Yeah. And yeah. just general, uh. Feedback. Feedback.
3: And leave criticisms. us a voicemail too, eh?
2: You can, we never we've only ever got one voicemail from Khan.
3: Yeah, we don't really plug it.
2: That's just on the side of the website. I'm surprised more people don't just notice. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Wayne, uh, no, I don't I don't want to put any pressure on Wayne. But the new website I hear is coming soon. <laughs> so we're looking forward to that. Um and uh I just uh fucking Wayne's done a lot of hard work. We really appreciate that. Old Darnell's really fucking put in the hours. Um so if you're looking or you know someone is looking for uh any web work, uh check out the link. It's in uh, every show notes. Yeah. Definitely. Think that should about do it. Subscribe for the newsletter. Support the show. Tell your friends. Thanks. We'll see you next week.